Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. From Columbus. It's time to add some spice to your nooner. Nooner. <laughs> Funny. This is the place where big-time guests, bold opinions, and little cute doggies come together. This, this is Rothman and Ice. All right, we welcome you aboard for the holiday barbecue, golf, relaxation, dog walking edition of Rothman and Ice. Anthony Rothman, Matty Ice Hayes, CB in the control room for a best of today. We're presented by your local Pella Window and Door showroom on Gemini Parkway. Matty, it was a great week. It's been a controversial week. It's been a complicated week. It's been a fun week. We did some over-unders, Baker's interceptions, Julio down by the schoolyard, touchdown numbers. Which one popped out for you? You know, for me, it is the Baker Mayfield over-under. I had a lot of fun talking about that. And look, a lot of people are labeling this a you know, do-or-die type of season for Baker Mayfield. And they did a lot to revamp that offense, especially along that offensive line. But yeah, you know, new head coach. He brought in one of his guys, backup quarterback Case Keenum. Not a lot of pressure on him, but you never know. But yeah, Baker, no doubt, man. Huge, huge storyline. Not just for us, but all around the football world. Uh, because this guy has a ton of expectations on his shoulder, shoulders. Let's see if he can bounce back and get it done this season. Well, CB put a great number on the interception. So when you listen, listeners, you decide. If he doesn't go under, I think it's going to be a great disappointment and you're headed for a, for a tough season. Uh, I stumped Hembo this week with a trivia question. He only got one of a potential three correct answers. Yeah. See if you can answer that in Hembo. So that's a very good segment you'll hear today. Pete Futek, College Football News, a little controversial. Um, certainly he was not positive on a restart, an early restart for October. It's not that he was anti-Buckeye. I just felt like he was not hearing his level of confidence wasn't there. And then the interview we did with Rick Neuheisel was great. Former UW coach preparing for Drew Brees in that Rose Bowl of 01 was a great segment. You'll listen for that interview. And Maddie. You love this one. The most intriguing storylines for the AFC. Yeah, man. A lot of stuff happening. You know how fired up I've been to get the NFL going. You know, we've had all this negative college football news surrounding us every day. I'm looking at the positives, and that's the NFL. And look, the AFC, man, there's some top-heavy teams with the Chiefs and the Ravens, but there's definitely some other storylines you want to check out. So it's definitely a fun segment, man. It is fun. Cam v. Big Ben. That should be one that will duel for the top in intriguing storylines for the AFC. So kick back, enjoy your holiday, relax, and enjoy Best of Rothman and Ice. The Best of Rothman and Ice. Rothman and Ice presents Overs and Unders. All right, Maddie. Our guy CB, he's a gamer, a.k.a. the gum grafter. And he's going to give it a shot today. You know why? Because it's a fun segment, and he's a fun guy. Because you're a fun guy. Go ahead, CB. Testing, testing. Yes. Hello, hello. No, I, I'm a little... Tessies, one, two. Tessies, one, two. I'm a little bit better than that. But, okay, number one. So Julio yeah. Jones has been a tad underwhelming in the TD department the past few mm. years. So I want to ask, over under seven receiving touchdowns in 2020. It's a great number. It's a great number, and I usually take these 30-plus-year-old receivers and say, eh, I don't know, but not with him. Not with him. Um, This dude is just a a rare breed. He is so impressive. 
I'm certainly he's going to be available to me maybe at 14 in the draft. It's tough to <laughs> it's tough to pass him over. I'm telling you, he had a, what he, he I think he got 100 balls last year, one oh, short. Man, yeah. That's six in a row that he goes over the 1300 yard mark. Now the question isn't yards; it's touchdowns, and that's where you get, it gets a little more difficult. I think it's the right number. He said, "What'd you say, seven and a half or?" I think. It was I mean, seven I had seven, but you can do it. All right. You well, want. you got to put this on a half. Um, I would say let's give him eight. I love your number. I'm going to go over on touchdowns for Julio. I am going to take the under oh, no. on one Julio Jones. And here's why. <laughs> I think Calvin Ridley's really yeah. ready to go ham. I think this is the time. This is mm. no knock on Julio Jones, but Calvin Ridley is an absolute monster. And they brought in Hayden Hurst. They traded for Hayden Hurst, tight end, mm-hmm. who was a former first-round draft pick. And you look at what Baltimore's situation was, what is a lot of ton of targets to go around. Maybe he opens things up a little bit more. I will slant this more towards Calvin Ridley. I, I just think I've- he is going to emerge as one of the best kind of, quote, number two receivers in the league, the way we talked about Chris Godwin all offseason down there in Tampa. So, yeah, I, I will take uh, the under on this in, in, in hot Atlanta where the players play. And they ride on them things mm-hmm. like every day. All right, number two. So Josh Allen has 17 rushing touchdowns through two seasons. Over under eight and a half rushing touchdowns for him in 2020. I'm going under. I'm going under. I mentioned Stephon Diggs earlier. I, I believe a little bit in that, Tam. That has to open things up just a little bit. And you don't want to keep doing this if you're McDermott and company up there. you got to protect the franchise. I know Josh Allen isn't the sexiest pick of all the young quarterbacks that are out there. I give him a little bit more love than I think other people do. So I will take the under on this, even though it's a tremendous weapon that he brings to the table when you talk about his legs. Yeah, it's under. It's under. Did you mention Zach Moss? I, I didn't hear that. Anyway, the addition of him to that backfield... Uh, that's going to vulture some touchdowns from Allen. They want to be a run-control, defensive-oriented team, so it should fit what Allen wants to do, but he had nine rushing touchdowns, sixth most all-time, and so 600-plus yards rushing. You've got to protect him a little more. They won't take away what he is and his weaponry, but I'm going to go under on the rushing touchdowns. All right, number three. So Jarvis Landry has hit 1,000 yards in three of his six seasons. So over under 1,000 yards in 2020. I'm under, AR. I'm under. There's too many miles to feed. There's too many miles to feed. And everything that we've been told, everything that you read and study about Stefanski, this is going to be two tight ends, run-heavy stuff. They've got another um, mm-hmm. you know, backup running back in Kareem Hunt that was used in the slot last year that could be a pass catcher on the on the field at the same time as Nick Chubb. Look, Jarvis Landry, those numbers don't lie. He, he's a stud. He's a pretty he good player in the slot. But I just think this season with a new guy in there, uh, I, I don't see it happening. I'll go Coming ahead. off the hip surgery this offseason and the recovery's gone pretty well, uh, I don't think that's going to hold him back, but it might be what you said. Here's the here's the rub. Do you take the, the offense that was bad last year, um, or do you take where you've gone, which is too many mouths to feed? Like, this dude has been a top 25 wide receiver in each of the last five years. We're talking about guys like Julio and Mike Evans and this guy. I agree with you. It's target-based. And if he had almost 140 targets last year to get to 1,100 and change, then I'm going to go under as well, just based on lesser targets. All right, number four. So the highest current win total in Vegas is the Chiefs at 11.5. Will they go over or under this number? Mm. I think, AR, I've got to take the over, man. I just don't see much slowing 
uh, this team down. I don't. Their defense has gotten better over the last couple of years, and they invested a lot of money uh, this offseason in a lot of key guys. So, um, yeah, if Mahomes is healthy with Andy Reid calling the plays and their defense kind of rounding into form, I'll take the over for the reigning champs. Yeah, I don't know what the odds are. If you take the over, it might be worse odds on that because I would think that would be the favorite. And so I don't know why would I bet against that type of team. It just it seems like – and there's been a lot of dynasty talk and all that. We'll see how that affects them as far as getting cocky off the Super Bowl. I don't anticipate it. I think they're a pretty, pretty tight team, and I think they know what they have right now. They'll have your team to go against, maybe some surprise also in the AFC. But, yeah, they're, they're, a, they're a juggernaut. If they don't win 12, I'd be very surprised. So give me the over. Number five. So Drew Brees has failed to hit 30 passing touchdowns in two of his last three seasons. So over under, let's do 29 and a half passing touchdowns for Brees in 2020. 29 and a half. My goodness, these numbers are good. Mm-hmm. Um, Touch them up good. Mm. <laughs> ah, he's 41 years old now, right? And he's going to retire after this year. This is it for him. We he's all going, know, to NBC, right? Right? Right, so going to NBC, right? Going to WNBC. Um. And I would think that his uh, he's going to have to get Kamara and those guys and Mike to catch and go. He's a catch and go quarterback right now. I don't expect a lot of these bombs. He's a kind of the depth of his targets will keep coming back. So he's getting a lot of those catch and score touchdowns. So give me the under. You said twenty nine and a half. Give me the under slightly. I'm going over. Uh, I think this is a. Do you did you guys forget who I was? Type of season for Drew Brees Ooh. because. Everybody has been talking about Tom Brady pulling up to the NFC South. Rightfully so. The greatest quarterback the game's ever seen pulled up to the NFC South. you got to pay that a ton of attention along with all the names that joined him. But mm. I'm not forgetting about this Saints team, AR. I can't. With the addition of Emmanuel Sanders, Jared yeah. Cook catching nine touchdowns last mm-hmm. year. Kamara is fully healthy, even though we don't know if he's going to play or not. But he is fully healthy. Coming, He's a lot healthier than he was last year. I think I think Drew Brees is going to want to prove to the world that you know. Remember who I am, just because I'm older and Tom Brady's here. Don't forget. I think I would think Drew Brees wants all the smoke, like my boys from the Street Profits. So I'll go over. And one more here. So Baker Mayfield had 35 interceptions in the last two seasons in the league. Over under 14 and a half interceptions for him in 2020. You want to answer this first, CB? This is your, this is your guy. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, oh man, what do you think for a soft? What do you think? It was a nightmare sophomore season. I'll, I'll go under AR. I think Stefanski yeah. will take the ball, may not out of his hands, but there will be less on his plate. I don't think there's going to be as much asked of him as there was last year. I'll take the under. I think they shorted up that offensive yeah, line, spent yeah. big money there. Um, no, this is it for for Baker. I'll yeah. roll with the under. I'll roll with the under too. I think we'll play the odds on that one. All right, nice little over-under segment. The only radio station allowing one of their hosts to talk about human flesh consumption. Okay, probably not the best. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Fan. Ohio Sports Destiny. Your home for hockey and hounds. You're listening to Rothman and Ice. All right, welcome back. 
About ready to kick this NFL season off fairly soon, and we have Ben Baby on, who covers the Bengals for ESPN. Ben, good to have you. Hey, how's everything going? Doing okay. I think everyone's excited to get a glimpse of the future in Cincinnati, and I guess I would ask it that way. Are we looking for a glimpse of the future, or do you think we're going to see a glimpse of the present? You think the Bengals could surprise some people this year? I'll ask you that first, and then after you answer that, we can kind of dive into maybe what your biggest uh, question marks for them are. Yeah, you know, I understand the hype about around Joe Burrow and, and what exactly, um, you know, what everyone sees, uh, you know, when you look at what he did at 2019 at LSU and the situation he's stepping into. But I think you have to remember he's still a rookie at the end of the day, and I still think the Bengals – or a year away from really competing for a playoff berth. I mean, you're talking about a team that was two and fourteen uh, last season, and so I just think that for, for them to go uh, to a playoff contender off of that season is just too much. And it's not just that they, you know the, the win loss record. I still think that there's some rebuilding that needs to be done, and it's just too great of a task to happen uh, over one off season. Ben, I want to ask you about you know a guy that we didn't get to see last year, and I think would have been an important piece of what they want to do, and that's Jonah Williams. The offensive line, it was rough for them a year ago, but the progress of Jonah Williams, uh, from what you're hearing and what you've been seeing or what you've been able to see, how, how's that been going for him? You know, I think Jonah's looked pretty good for the most part. I mean, he's, you know, I watched him in the SEC when he was at Alabama, my previous job, and, you know, I thought he was incredibly impressive. And so I just I think that that's kind of the case, and I think he'll end up being the guy they thought he was. Um, so you know I, I think that that's going to be they're going to be in pretty good shape. I mean they've been looking for a guy to fill that void since Andrew Whitworth left, and you know they've been kind of been playing musical chairs for the most part. So I think that's going to be the you know I, I think Jonah's going to fit in really well, and that's going to be a big piece of this rebuild moving forward. Ben Baby with us from ESPN who covers the Cincinnati Bengals. Let me take you back to Burrow just quickly here. And I know they didn't have a preseason, and everyone thinks, oh, wow, that's for a rookie dude. This is going to come very fast for him. But could it be a little bit of a wash, Ben, depending on no fans in the stands or very few fans in the stands, these road games that he will have to go on um, where you'd normally go into big, hostile environments, that would, that's going to be uh, dialed back down. How do you think that will affect him in a positive way? You know, first off, I think there's nothing more nothing more hostile than playing in the SEC. I mean, having been in those atmospheres, that that's the you know I've been to Buffalo, I've been to some of these other you know, Cleveland, you know, Baltimore, but really nothing is like you know a game day in the SEC. And if you can play well in that environment, you can play well just about anywhere. So I don't think that's going that would have been a big factor for him. I think the biggest thing is just that that acclimation to uh, the NFL is really. The, the issue when, when you talk about, you know, the, the passing windows and the speed of the game and all of that, I think that's really the, the issue. So, you know, and, and Joe's not going to have any preseason games to, to kind of get his feet wet. So, you know, all of that's going to be a, a factor. And I think it's going to, he'll have his good moments, but I think there are going to be some growing pains. It's not just going to be uh, what you saw last year immediately at the NFL. Ben, big-time addition for Cincinnati this offseason was DJ Reader, you know, big-time nose tackle coming over from Houston. Is he living up to expectations so far, and how do you see him, you know, fitting in along that defensive line? It's been pretty good. Yeah, you know, I think he'll do fine. It's not – DJ is really going to be um, – you know, they, they got him, and they thought he was one of the best nose tackles in the NFL, and that's why, you know, they signed him to what they did. But, you know, my question along the defensive line is can they create pressure? 
I think that's really the big issue. Um, and, and can they consistently get off the edge? And so I think DJ Reader's a good addition. But really the X factors for me are, are Carl Lawson and Carl, and, uh, and Sam Hubbard, their two defensive ends. I think they've got to be able to consistently bring um, you know, pressure off the edge. And if they're able to do that and Reader's able to free up the middle, you can see the kind of dividends you're hoping for when you sign a guy of Reader's caliber and at that price tag. Uh, the secondary, your confidence there as we hit a couple of position groups here on the, on the defensive side with the second cornerback starter and the linebacker starters. Yeah, you know that's going to be a, a big question mark. You know, at the beginning of the year uh, when they signed Trey Waynes, who's the other mm-hmm. big um, they pick up. You know, they thought that was going to be a big uh, addition for the secondary. That he goes down with his pectoral surgery um, and now is out indefinitely. Um, you know, that's going to be a, a big factor. They're going to have to replace him. They don't have Drake or Patrick. You know, they let him go because they had Waynes, and now they're going to have a replacement-level player trying to fill in. And while you've had some guys, you know, do, you know, fill in admirably at camp, I don't think we're really going to know what that's going to look like until we get to the season. I think that's definitely uh, a major question mark, especially at that opposite cornerback uh, from William Jackson. Heading back to offense for me, Ben, and we're talking to Ben Baby covers the Bengals for ESPN. We know the pecking order. I think we can assume what the pecking order is going to be at the top of the wide receiver room. Probably AJ and then Tyler Boyd um, following him. But the third wide receiver between John Ross, T. Higgins, Alden Tate, somebody you can sleep on. Um, is there a favorite right now to kind of be that third that third wide receiver? You know, that's a great question. And, and I think because of what's happened with John Ross this offseason between, you know, being, being a little nicked up and then his, his, his uh, son and his son's mother contracting COVID, uh, which caused him to leave camp, you know, that creates an interesting situation. And, and Mike Thomas is a guy who's looked really good. Uh, Auden Tate, like you said, has had a really good training camp. I thought he's, he's looked phenomenal. And I think he can be a big asset uh, for Joe Burrow. And, you know, I, I'm very curious to see what this is going to look like for them moving forward. Because of, you know, like you said, there, there are a lot of options and that wide receiver unit's probably the deepest on the entire roster. So, you know, we'll see what happens uh, there. I think that's still going to, you know, honestly, we may figure that out tonight whenever the team has their, their quote unquote mock game. You know, we may get a glimpse of who that wide receiver three is going to be for them. And, you know, whoever that is, I imagine they'll get plenty of targets. And, you know, I think they feel good about whoever that's going to be, whether it's Ross, Higgins, uh, Thomas, or Tate. All right, Ben, let me ask you, you know, got the mix-in deal. So, you know, we were looking at potentially this being an audition year for Joe Mixon for another team. If he didn't get the deal, he gets the nice, big workhorse deal. And what are your, I guess, hopes for how they will infiltrate him in the offense now with Burrow, maybe more pass catching, not just the workhorse back? Do you anticipate that? I don't, that's a good question. You know, and I've gotten mixed reactions from, from the coaching staff as to how that's going to look like moving forward. You know, when you look at, when you look at Joe Mixon, he's a guy who loves being downhill. He loves, um, you know, having the ball, you know, in, in the, in his hands, you know, having an upfield blocker, being in, in passing situation or in, in, you know, run heavy, you know, personnel packages. That's kind of his bread and butter. And I think, you know, really he's going to have to, you know, he's shown the ability in college to be able to be a good, uh, Good, good pass catcher, and I think he needs to, you know, probably lean towards that a little bit more. The Bengals need to use him in that capacity. I mean, you look at how the NFL is going, and it's great to have that versatility at running back, and it gives you just that much a more dynamic offense, which is kind of what Zach Taylor's doing. And when you saw the usage of Todd Gurley in L.A. when Taylor was on staff in 2018, um, you know, Gurley caught the ball a ton. I think that's what you need from Joe to get the most out of his contract. 
And, you know, we had the whole McKenzie Alexander situation, which was a very, very, you know, tough situation when you read some of the details. But, you know, his father was found and everything. From what I saw, he's been back at Bengals practice. Everything clear from the league and everything? Is he good to go? What's what's the latest on his availability and everything for McKenzie Alexander? Yeah, you know, right now we haven't heard anything in regards to McKenzie you know, being suspended. Uh, Zach Taylor said that they're not looking at disciplining him given everything that's happened and, and his lawyer, you know, between his father, you know, given what happened during his father's disappearance and his battery arrest, you know, stemming from that, they, they said they plan on pleading not guilty. So we may, we may see what happens with that case and how that plays out. But if there's going to be any discipline, it's going to come from the NFL and that still remains yet to be seen. Uh, and, and if Alexander can play and can be, uh, you know, on the field starting on week one, I think he has a chance to be a, a very underrated signing for them because that slot corner position is, is one of strength. And he, and he, you know, has played pretty well when he's been out there in camp. And so I think he has a ton of potential. It's just a matter of what that's going to look like and how the scheme is going to look uh, in 2020. All right, Ben, we'll end on this one. It looks like Vegas had the over-under on wins for Cincinnati at five and a half. You going over or under? I'm I'm barely taking the over. I think a six and ten year is probably what's best for them. I, I still think that they're. I know some people are are being overly optimistic and thinking seven and nine or even eight and eight. I just think that's a little too much to ask. And yeah, you know, I think that over under is probably right on the money. And you know, I think if you're Zach Taylor, I, I think a six one season is probably what you're looking for because it'll show that you're um you know going into being a uh, you know you're looking at that window opening really in 2021. And so I think that's kind of what's best for them. And so you know I think if they hit that six win mark, you're, you're you're showing progress and you know anything below that you know you're really looking at okay you know you're starting to ask bigger questions and that is you know whether what is Zach Taylor the guy you're looking for and is Burrow the quarterback that you need and is this team in the position that you you want it to be as you go into your theoretical playoff window Ben great stuff man thanks for the season preview I know we'll be reaching out again soon take care hey sounds good y'all take care thanks Ben. Ben baby ESPN covering the Cincinnati Bengals Rossman and Ice is sponsored by your local Pelican. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Window and door showroom on Gemini Parkway. The fan. Ohio sports destination. The best of Rothman and Ice. All right, welcome back. Rothman and Ice. Now we hook it up with our good friend, producer of Get Up on ESPN every morning, Paul Hembakitis, affectionately known as Hembo. Good to have you, pal. How you been? Uh, I'm doing well, man. I have to say, I think this is the first time that we have spoken since you found yourself a legitimate co-host. Am I right? My good friend, my good friend Bobby Carpenter, has been banished for the mornings. Now he can get up. He can do his two thousand jumping jacks. He That's can it. Pop the shower and, and, and do the radio show. This is, this is, that was made for him. Right up his alley, baby. He loves it, man. <laughs> and by the way, I don't think he sleeps still. Like I don't think it's not like just because he does a show at six in the morning. Um, that he has to go to bed early. Like, he, you know, jump on 6 in the morning, just kind of uh, play a little hee-haw, and he's ready to go, man. That guy's wired yeah, I, 24. I, I know what it's like. I know what it's like. My, my alarm goes up at 345 every day to, to get up and produce get up. So I, I feel his pain, but I'm, I'm glad that you're not carrying around that, that weight anymore. 
Absolutely. Well, great to have you. And as as everyone knows that listen to this show, you are a uh, a mountain of knowledge here. And it's you know when I saw the Tom Seaver situation uh, and and the fact that he passed, and there are a few names, you know, Nolan Ryan, Sandy Koufax, like there are some names that just define. MLB and pitching, and Seaver was that guy, even for the young people, um, to know his journey, late 69, to be able to steal that division from the Cubs, go on and win it, get a ticker tape parade in New York for the Mets, and then go through contractual disputes, and then getting traded, and winding up getting his 300th win as a White Sox back in New York, but this time in the Bronx. His story's pretty incredible. Where does he, in when you look, rank among the game's greats? There is there is no credible list of the greatest pitchers of all time that does not include Tom Seaver. I, I, you mentioned to me today when we were going back and forth earlier, there, uh, Tom Seaver won 300 games. He struck out 3,000 batters, and he did so with a sub-three earned run average. The entire list of players to do that are Tom Seaver and Walter Johnson. Walter Johnson is widely considered the greatest pitcher that ever lived, and he did so in the dead ball era. Now, I wouldn't argue that Tom Seaver is the greatest pitcher of the last 100 years. But if you did, I wouldn't tell you that you're wrong. Tom Seaver very much made the Mets a credible franchise. They were a joke before he arrived. But in two years, they went from losing 100 games to winning the World Series. Only one uh, team in baseball history had previously done that. And you mentioned Sandy Koufax, and you mentioned Nolan Ryan, and some of the other great pitchers in the history of the sport. And the note that I think best sort of distinguishes, distinguishes him as that is, In 1936, Ty Cobb received 98.5% of the Hall of Fame vote. That was the inaugural class, the first class. That is a record that stood until 1992 when Tom Seaver broke it. When you, like, obviously the, the baseball writers are an imperfect electorate. We know that. But if you look at the group of players that received the highest percentage of the vote on their first time on the ballot, we're talking about a who's who of baseball history. And think of how many great players for 50 some years were elected to the Hall of Fame. None of them broke Ty Cobb's record until Tom Seaver did. Wow. Wow. That's great stuff right there, Himbo. And sticking with pitching, man, here in Ohio every fifth day, you get to see Shane Bieber go out there on the mound and do his thing. And I'm sure in that Cleveland clubhouse, they're chalking it up as win day. What have you seen? What have you got on Shane Bieber right now? <laughs> well, um, so I think it, was, it would be fairly evident to say that Shane Bieber would be the front runner for the American League Cy Young Award. But I would take it a step further than that. In my judgment, Shane Bieber is the most valuable player in the American League. And if the season ended today, he would get my vote for both awards. And that isn't just because there hasn't been a singular standout position player in the American League. It's because Shane Bieber has legitimately been that good. We, we, people conflate the MVP award in a way that I'm not quite sure. It's pretty clear to me that it states it's the player that produced the most value. Shane Bieber has very clearly produced the most value of any player in the American League. He leads in, in all of these sort of advanced statistics that people like me like to cite, like wins above replacement and win probability added. The Indians are 7-1 and one in games in which he's pitched, and the game that they lost, he didn't allow a run. The, uh, it, he, he has generated 18 more strikeouts than any pitcher in baseball. He has uh, induced 30 more chases outside the zone than any pitcher in baseball. In other words, Uh, No one's close. No one is close to matching Shane Bieber this year. The gap between he and every other pitcher is much, much larger than the gap between any position player and anybody else. So I think you're looking at the best player in the American League right now, regardless of position. 
he's almost single-handedly carrying this team to the, to the division title. And when we talked about uh, six weeks ago or so, I mentioned that I think the reason the Indians are the favorite to win that division is because of their first division players, the top-end players on that roster. And so far, those guys have carried that roster. Shane Bieber obviously being exhibit A. But I think we're selling him short and saying that he's the best pitcher in the American League. He's the best player in the American League, and perhaps in all of baseball. Great stuff with Hembo here from Get Up ESPN, producer who has is just a walking stat monster. We, well, I agree with you on Bieber, that's for sure. And I, I know a lot of writers don't want to give the MVP award to pitchers, um, but when you have performances like this guy who goes out every single time, every single outing, and gives you not quality starts but elite starts, I agree. You have to consider him for MVP. The other guy who has given some great performances early on in his career is Alvin Kamara. Now, we think that things have been a little quieted down in New Orleans about him getting a deal. He's not a workhorse, though. Like, he is really good on the team he's on, great skill, great pass-catching ability, making guys miss in space. Like, he is electric. But when it comes down to comparing him to the great backs of his era, does he deserve that money, that top three, top four, top five money? No, uh, because he's not a feature back. Now, the, the statistics indicate that he is still, if not the most elusive, among the most elusive running backs in the NFL. We can measure that by how often he breaks the tackle in relation to how many tackle attempts uh, against him. And he's, but even last year, in his worst year by far, he's still graded very favorably by that measure. But we're still remembering... 2017, the year in which he sort of came out of nowhere with the world on fire, averaged nearly eight yards per touch. He was legitimately one of the best players at any position in the NFL as a rookie. But however you choose to measure it, uh, he's become much less efficient year over year. In 2019, he was fairly average. In in, in 2019, he averaged 5.3 yards a touch. Uh, Only 23% of his touches resulted in a first down or a touchdown. Those are pedestrian numbers. And if you're not going to be a workhorse, then you have to be wildly efficient. And last year, he was not. I would argue, and I'd be curious to your take because your team beat Bears in the playoffs. I would argue that the Saints lost that game to the Vikings the day they chose not to re-sign Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram was the missing piece on that team last year. And that departure clearly made Alvin Kamara uh, much less effective. And the running theory that I have on this doesn't just apply to Kamara. It applies to all running backs. But because fantasy has sort of taken over and we're so obsessed with it, and because running backs have to be drafted so high because of position scarcity, we, we view running backs, uh, we as in the, you know, the public at large, very differently, I think, than the inner uh, NFL circles. Like Alvin Kamara, I bet you if you polled a lot of like, NFL executives and say, this is not a player who I would rank inside my top 100 in terms of the value that he provides, but fans don't see it that way. Uh, the comparison I would make is Melvin Gordon a year ago. We couldn't believe why the Chargers wouldn't pay him. And the reason we couldn't believe it is because he won us fantasy matchups. He won us fantasy mm-hmm. championships. Alvin Kamara is the same. Alvin Kamara, even two years ago, wasn't all that good. He just scored a bunch of touchdowns. Uh, that wasn't even the case last year. So I think the disconnect between the public and the sort of the NFL intelligentsia as it relates to running backs uh, applies here. And I think he's a perfect example of the chasm uh, between the two. He's a hammer. Ingram was a hammer. I agree. You, you need a little bit of that. And I, I said the same thing about what happened to the Bears. Not that Jordan Howard was great and he had some pass-catching blunders. But when, when you lose that hammer, um, it, it, it creates a whole different dynamic in that running back. I agree. Ingram was a five-yard per carry back, and it does make a difference. Uh, I agree with you very much on that. 
Go ahead, Matty. Real quick, Hibbo, before we let you go, man, I just wanted to get your take on you know Leonard Fournette going to Tampa. There's a lot of weapons there, man. I know people are having their fantasy drafts, and there's more fantasy drafts to come, but where are you with the fit? Do you think that this could be a successful uh, new chapter for Leonard Fournette down there in Tampa? A very peculiar move for the Jags to cut him after a career year. He's 25 years old, and a few years ago we were talking about him like he was this generational running back prospect if I'm not mistaken like when he was we were talking about him like sitting out his junior season because it was in a hurt his draft stock like this is that kind of impressive in terms of his uh, ability and he's still fairly young a little bit of wear and tear as far as the fit is concerned obviously it hurts uh, for his fantasy owners but this is a team that ranked 29th in the NFL last year in rushing average between the tackles that was an area clearly where they struggled now I don't know like how much that actually matters in today's NFL we just talked about you know the value of running backs and I think you probably, you know, relate that argument here somewhat. But when you when you just add Leonard Fournette to what is an incredibly stacked group of uh, skill position players, the, the the expectations on this team just have to be enormous. I mean, this is the, that was the, the legitimately the only hole um, on that offense was the fact that they just only had Ronald Jones and we just weren't obsessed with the running back room. But it's hard to argue that any team has a better collection of receivers or tight ends than theirs does. And now they have someone who's coming off of a year in which he rushed for a thousand yards and caught seventy six balls. So it's going to obviously it's incumbent on Bruce Arians and on Byron Leftwich to sort of make all this work. I'm highly skeptical, to be candid, uh, in all this coming together at least right away. They are my favorite to win the division, but we've seen these things before, guys. Like we've seen these uh, quote unquote dream teams not come together at all, especially in year one. I'm an Eagles fan, so. Uh, it was about t- 10 or 12 years ago where we you know, sort of made that failed experiment coming out of the lockout year. I think it was 2011, uh, the, lo- the lockout year. This doesn't feel like that to me because I have more trust in, in Brady. I have trust in Arians. But a- as, a, as a rule, this stuff doesn't quite work. And in a compromised offseason, I would understand those who say, I'm going to trust the continuity that the Saints have with Breeze and Peyton and Carmichael going back more than a decade, more than this sort of uh, collection of misfit toys coming together in year one without any preseason games. Talking with Hembo, producer for Get Up on ESPN. All right, final 20 seconds. You're not going to get a lot of time to think about this. You are not allowed to give us any trivia today. We had that set in stone. It was all good stuff. I am going to give you a trivia question. You ready? <laughs> okay. You, you and Maddie, you can both jump in real fast. No, don't final... move me into this. All right, just give him a taste right, of right, we'll gang up on Hembo. You're right. Let's gang up on Hembo. I got no problem with that. All right, we talk, I was talking about Cam Newton earlier and coming off the Liz Frank injury and how much running means to him. I believe, and I think I've double-checked this, you can triple-stamp it, that there have been only three quarterbacks in history that have rushed over 500 yards in a season after age 30. Who are they? Three, three quarterbacks after age 30, 500 yards. I'm going to guess, off the top of my head, Randall Cunningham. I'm going to guess uh, Michael Vick. And I'm going to guess... Steve McNair. Uh, you are one for three, I believe. Ah. You got Michael Vick. The other ones would be Steve Young, who be actually became a starter at the age of 30, and I think he ran for uh, that at age 37. And then Rich Gannon at age 35 mm. with the Raiders. Wow. <laughs> well, well uh, Gannon was not a myth for me, but Steve Young is. It was Steve Young's rushing, quarterback rushing touchdown record that Cam Newton broke, if I'm not mistaken. So I will say that is a bad myth for me. Um, I, I, we, we're, you know, your listeners are obviously used to that on this show. Yeah, I, I, I do believe he ran for 537 yards in 92 when he would have been 31. 
So there you go. So All right, the Hamlin, there you go. If I set that over under at 500, if I set that over under on 500 for Cam Newton this year, are you taking the over or the under? I'm taking the under. I'm going under. It's only been done three times in history. I'm not taking it with a guy coming off Liz Frank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, fair enough, Dr. Rothman. I appreciate that very much. <laughs> All right, Hembo, you can, you can confirm my work, and then if you, if you think it checks out, feel free to use it somewhere along the line. Okay, I, I will make sure to cite you. Dr. Rothman right. uh, will be my Yes, that's all right. All right, brother. Great talking with you, man. Be well. Later, bud. That's awesome. Too, bud. Paul Hembikitis, Hembo from ESPN, producer of Get Up. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This year stinks. Here's something to make it better. We're live and local in the morning. Morning juice with Beamer, Carpenter, and Schlegs. Weekdays starting at 6. The Fan. Just a couple of guys whose love for fantasy sports may exceed their love for real sports. This is Rothman and Ice. No doubt about that. All right. And I think we're going to do a little bit of uh, fantasy work with Ian Harditz, Pro Football Focus. Most of the most of the decent storylines, I think, Maddie, are coming out of the AFC. And, you know, you're talking about you know the Chiefs and repeating and Belichick trying to find... Uh, a way around Tom Brady and see if he can increase his legacy or watch it kind of like, okay, yep, didn't have Brady. We know it's the players over coaching. So the AFC is kind of obvious. I'm going to start with uh, one for me. And I think this is going to combine the one that I think is the biggest storyline for me in the NFC. Oh, ragtag group of renegades under a slate gray sky. Mm. Not really, because one's in a dome and one's playing in a sunny climate. Uh, Tommy and Drew. Tommy and Drew in the same division. It's the, it, to me, it's the biggest storyline going. And when you talk about, they already took down Peyton for the all-time touchdown lead in regular season. I think Breeze has 547, Tommy at 541. I know we're not a records-driven society when it comes to the NFL, but... Now that these two dudes are going to finish, I don't know if they'll finish together or not, that'll be interesting to see. But they go head-to-head now, twice a year, with weapons forever. Evans, Godwin, Gronk, Thomas, Sanders, Kamara. Touchdown record in the balance. Like, to me, that is the number one storyline. Not just Tampa and whether he can get him back to the Super Bowl. I'm talking about Tommy V. Drew, 2020. Yeah, it's strong, and you and I are of the same thinking because I honed in specifically on the Saints as my first kind of intriguing deal out there in the NFC, and you brought up the name as the reason why I think it's intriguing, and that is Emmanuel Sanders because watching this Saints team, you can't guard Mike, man. That dude has been incredible, but in 2019, Ted Ginn was the wide receiver who had the most receiving yards on the team at 421. Latavius Murray had more than their third wide receiver in Traquan Smith. So they need a jolt there. And I think Emmanuel Sanders could be that guy. We know the famous play that didn't happen in the Super Bowl between him 
and Jimmy G. They bring Malcolm Jenkins back to replace former Buckeye Von Bell. It's their time, AR. They really have to cash in because you guys went down there and put it on them in the playoffs last year, and we know about the heartbreak that they've had in previous <laughs> postseason situations. So, yeah, no, I started in the NFC South as well, but specifically this New Orleans Saints team because the window, it doesn't stay open forever. And When you got Drew Brees clearly on the back nine, you, you don't know what that's looking like with him going to NBC, and you got James Amos lurking like they've got to cash in. It's do or die for the New Orleans Saints. But yeah. the name that you brought up within their division is going to have a lot to say down there in Tampa with old Tommy and Gronk. So, yeah, yeah. I just kicked it off with the Saints. I'm glad you brought them up because that's where my head was at. No, and I don't get too cocky on putting it on them. We want an overtime, so I don't want to get – but you're right. We've had their crazy number. It's, we've got a hex on them now, which I'll makes sense. Because, by on. the way, it's been – I mean, the Minneapolis miracle and then the overtime last year – I would trade both of those to win that game in 2010, the Favre game. Of course you would. No, it doesn't mean a whole lot. My second one, Dwayne Haskins' second year. Ooh. New head coach. Mm-hmm. His final two starts, Flash Gordon. 72%, 400 yards, four touchdowns, no picks. I need to know, and they need to know, whether they have the quarterback of the future or whether they have to dip back in draft-wise. So to me, and I know it, it probably resonates more with Buckeye fans because Washington's not any big deal, but to me it's Haskins' second year. We've heard so much about whether he is or whether he isn't. He showed us enough at the end of the year for them to say, we have to find out this is the year. That's my second one. I know. I think it's a really good one. And, you know, you, we heard a lot about Alex Smith, you know, from Ron Rivera, mm-hmm. the possibility of him being the guy. And you read some of the stuff coming out of camp. Maybe he's not as close as they thought. But the fact that he was complimenting him in that way means when he is ready, if Dwayne isn't playing well, we don't know how that's going to go. I think he is going to perform well um, out there. But I think he's definitely got to crank it up the way he did at the latter portion of last season to keep that job. Second one for me, or I got a question for you. If I had a receiver available that gave you 66 receptions for 1,100 yards and six touchdowns, would you take that on your team? Give me that again, 66 66 catches. 66 receptions, 1,100 yards and six Mm -hmm. touchdowns. You would take that on your team, correct? I would. All day long. And that's Mm -hmm. Michael Gallup in 2019. The Dallas Cowboys, this offense AR, it looks (laughs) great on paper, but how smoothly is it going to run? Because you paid Zeke to be the highest running back in NFL history but then we get to the nfl draft jerry's hanging out on his yacht and he can't help himself he had to take cd lamb to fall right into his lap even though they may have had more important needs mainly on the defensive side of the ball but michael gallup what does his season look like because we know we know jerry wants wants lamb to be the guy he handed him number 88 we know how important that is to this franchise but This guy is no slouch, and he obviously had really good chemistry with Dak last year, with Amari there as well. Does this guy get lost in the shuffle a little bit? So this Cowboys offense, we always talk a ton about the Cowboys, America's team, all of that. But we hear year in and year out that this is the year for them. I think they have the opportunity to do that offensively, but how they get there with all the things I laid out, and then a new coach, head coach on top of that, 
that calls offensive plays or has his hands really involved with the offense, man, I don't know, AR. It looks good on paper, but when you pay Zeke the way you paid him and you mm-hmm. brought in CeeDee Lamb, that dynamic I don't think is going to be as smooth as a lot of people think it's going to be. All right, we know he's not better than Amari Cooper. We know that. So it's really about whether CeeDee Lamb takes his targets away. I certainly can find... I probably can find 100 targets for him. That's not a problem. Do I think his catches are going to go up? Probably not. I would say his catches are going to go down. Um, I would say if he could get a season similar to the one he just had, coming down in yards and a few catches, if he can still be a 61K guy in this offense, then I'm okay with it with Gallup. It's so funny that you mentioned Dallas. I have Dallas written down as my third one too, but not for the same reason. My intrigue is more about McCarthy. And whether or not, now he's no Aaron, but he's got a lot more weapons. Lesser quarterback, better running back. Yep. When I think to myself, and I'd, I'd have to, I, I think I'm accurate in saying this, I don't think the Dallas Cowboys have been in an NFC title game in like 25 years. Yeah. Like, it's been nothing. It's mind-boggling to me. It, it's for that team, that brand, to not even be four quarters away from the big one. Right. In two and a half decades... Blows my mind. Yeah. I'll have to look up the exact year, but I think I'm pretty close. I think it was 95. It had to be. Yeah, I think you are right in that window. You are right, right. there, AR. Yeah, go so ahead, man. To me, it's McCarthy and the Cowboys. Can McCarthy win over Dallas? Now, he's got weapons, but like I said, he's got a le- much lesser quarterback, but much right. better off. If he, su- if he isn't successful there, then it'll, it'll end in everything people have said about McCarthy. He just was riding Aaron's coattails. No doubt. No and doubt. so that's the intrigue for me. Can he get them? Can he get them to an NFC title game? Yeah. And can this offensive line that we talked about for years being the best offensive line, can yeah. they get back to that form? So, look, I, I think there is a path for this to be something that's really awesome. But when you had a formula over the last four to five years or whatever Zeke stepped on there, now you're going to a different formula with the same quarterback that you've had for the last couple of years. I think the transition may not be that smooth because I can already see storylines coming out of Zeke's not happy, CeeDee Lamb's getting too much love, Jerry's loving that, Dak's on the tag. There's just a lot here, AR, that could present problems for Dallas, even though I do think there's a chance that they could make a ton of noise. It's just going to be Kellen Moore, Mike McCarthy, like you saying, figure out a way to make Make this shit run as smoothly as possible. All right. Nice. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah. That's me. Nothing extra. Just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Nice little three-banger there. The Fan Guest Hotline is sponsored by Airflow Heating and Cooling and Bryant. Doing whatever it takes to keep your home comfortable. The Fan, Ohio's sports destination. You're listening to Rothman and Ice. Are we doing this still, again? Yeah, we are doing it again because I'm, I'm still in that camp. I'm still in the camp. And I'm not... It's not about right or wrong. I'm just telling you what I think is going to happen. Okay. And I, I, people are asking the old question. We'll get to all the headlines today. And now you got, you know, what I find so amazing is that we can't get 14 presidents on the record, like with a, with a, with a local reporter. 
This is how I felt on August 11th. This is how I this I said yay or nay, or this is how, where I stood. This was my lean on things. When the commissioner asked me where I stood, this is what I said. Like, I don't know why we can't get all of them to articulate where they stood on August 11th, which is different than where they may stand on September 1st, right? I mean, all we've been saying, you and I and everyone, for five, six months, is this was going to be a day-to-day, week-to-week feel on where we are in the pandemic. Where's my risk tolerance? Where's the confidence? Knowing full well that if they opened up these campuses, there'd probably be a spike, despite everyone wearing masks. You can't police everyone. And I find it really incredibly ironic that we can't get them to say what they think. These aren't the peons of the world. These are presidents of universities. Right. We can't get them to publicly say, hey, this is how I feel. Doesn't make me right. Doesn't make me wrong. This is how I feel. My job is to protect my campus and our student athletes and our culture here. And this is how I feel. No one brainwashed me. No one convinced me. I, I, I read, my, I read the, the medical advice, and this is how I feel. Like, I find it amazing. We can't get people to say that. But... We can get a commissioner on a phone call with the White House today, apparently. Like, that can happen. Like, so... Yeah. And so, if yesterday, when you and I left the air, it was disclosed, uh, I think through The Athletic and other, and Chicago Tribune and and others, were reporting that, indeed, there was a vote, in air quotes, on whether to postpone slash cancel the fall football season with 11 of the 14 in favor of the move. And then it was reported that Ohio State, Nebraska, and Iowa were the three that weren't, that they didn't want to to do that. And I guess that makes sense from all the things we've, we've kind of heard. Yeah. And then there's this narrative out there that this vote never really happened and that this is all one big lie and cover-up by the Big Ten to cover their you-know-whats. And I just kept thinking, why, if I'm a president of a university, like, okay, if I voted that I, was, that I didn't feel safe to move on with the season, why would I care if that was attached to me? That's, I'm a president of a university. I've got to speak. Like, what am I hiding behind? And, then, and, and if I didn't vote that way, then I certainly wouldn't want to know attached to me if I didn't. Right. So if you're telling me that 11 of the 14 said, I, I'm voting to delay, I'm voting to cancel fall, the fall season, we'll revisit it later or when the calendar flips to 2021. If that didn't happen, then why, why would I want my name attached to that if, it, if that's how it's being reported? So I, I just find this very interesting today. I do believe that depending on, and I've said this to you for about a week, the Big Ten isn't going to reverse course instantly. They're not going to snap their fingers and say, well, we got a lot of pushback. We got some lawsuits going, a little march to Chi-Town, some small campus rallies. You know what? We hear you. Turn the lights back on. Like, I don't think that's happening. But what I do think could happen is they have a little bit of luxury of seeing now that campuses are somewhat open, can they make it? Can these other conferences make it? Can they play a couple games and make it without getting shut down? 
And if so, if we see three to four weeks of evidence of that, and I'm speaking to the Big Ten as we, then I do believe that we will move towards a restart of this season. That's my gut. It's no, it's, it's all I, that's, and I'm not saying they even have to play 10. I don't know where that's coming from. Like, I think if they got six to eight games, they'd have enough data to be included in whatever playoff could exist this year. But I do think now that we're in this spot, I think they'll probably wait and use whatever evidence they can over the next three weeks to five or a month or whatever it is, and then they'll make another decision. I believe yeah. that. I don't know if it's true, but that's my gut. No, no, no. And with the new information that came out there today, AR, I can definitely see how you got there. And that, to me, it kind of brings me back towards the middle where I was the other day. I still, um, I don't want to say it's a long shot, but, you know, when you've got the White House involved, and we mentioned it yesterday with the new t- rapid testing that's been made available. And I know, you know, you got the Pac 12 and Conference USA going to three tests a week. And those are things that can make you feel better, uh, a little bit better as a fan, but more importantly, the presidents that have to make those decisions. Is this new information going to be enough to get them to go back the other? direction and it's going to be a wait and see type deal but mm-hmm. I actually I absolutely think that that should be a factor because at the time when the decision was made Kevin Warren threw it out there that you know it was overwhelmingly uh, you mm-hmm. know sided and when it came to the medical information, and that's fine. I'm willing, I was willing to be okay with that, but you had to reveal that info. And I thought the Pac-12 AR did a good job with how they put it out there. They had a 12-page document, and everyone under their umbrella, under the Pac-12 umbrella, you could accept that more because at the time, you knew what you were dealing with. Here in our neck of the woods, it's been so frustrating for everyone involved because it, it hasn't been clear. Even when Kevin Warren went on the Big Ten Network and sat down with Dave Revson and he had a chance to clear up the situation, he didn't do that so we've just had all these different difficulties dealing with the conference and now when you get the information yesterday that's part of what we were asking for at least what I was asking for is put a name on it put a number on it and let's get the information out there I don't understand why the conference decided to sit back and hold some of the info I don't know why it took a lawsuit and protest and letters and all that stuff for all of us to get this I think they wanted to be because they wanted to throw off a unified stance but that was why, my, and he, he only wanted to re- reveal what he felt he needed to until it backfired. But there was That's nothing. But there was no nothing unified. There was so much confusion. Ar, we still don't technically know the whole situation, and that's why, to me, this has been so frustrating. Is because mm-hmm. week to week, this has gone well. They had a vote, and then we had ads and presidents on the yep. record saying we don't really know how the or how the vote went down or whatever the situation was. We had those guys and gals on the record clarifying that so that's why it's been such a problem it's been a pr mess for the big 10 and where we go from here i think ar is going to in my opinion be well are the medical experts that got to these presidents that gave them information that late you know led towards them voting no let's postpone it is the new stuff going to sway those people again it's a wait and see type of deal but i do think ar in the college football world you got some stuff kind of moving that direction with the new information information being handed out about the rapid test that these coaches and schools could have at their fingertips if they decide to go down that route. Well, that's going to be what I keep saying that will determine their confidence level. You're right. Rapid testing will help. It's not a vaccine, but a lot of these places, a lot of these conferences are going forward regardless of having 100% certainty. 
And I keep coming back to, okay, you want to call up the University of Minnesota president, Joan Gable, for saying that she wouldn't call it a vote? Well, she called it a deliberative process. She did. Uh, they said that they came to a decision together. So uh, do I feel that every one of the presidents was 100% dug in on their feel? No, I'm sure there was a, a process. Do I think that Warren said, okay, yay or nay, Minnesota, yay or nay? I, I don't know. But I do feel like this narrative that he brainwashed these presidents, uh, you know, could they have been convinced if they were in the middle? I guess maybe they were led to believe that the other conferences would follow suit. We don't want to be the last in line. It's not safe. They're amateurs. They're student athletes. Let's not put dollars over safety. Like maybe they were convinced. Because they were accused five months ago of they'll probably trot them out there for the TV dollars, yep. so that's so they were getting it from both ends. They were they were they were getting crushed for trotting them out there. You well, you can't use amateur athletes to save your athletic programs. That's ridiculous. These are student athletes. You can't mm-hmm. do it. You can't have your, you can't have both. You can't call them student athletes and then trot them out there with no fans, college football to play for the money. You can't do that. And then. When they decided, uh, you're right, it's too much uncertainty, we're not going to do that, they got crushed that way. Like, what yep. do you mean you're not going to do it? <laughs> right. Like, everyone else is doing it. Why? What are you talking about? Now, so it's been very complicated. And so this is where we arrive today, and right before we come on the air, uh, President Trump tweets that he had a conversation with Kevin Warren, and that it went well, and that it was... Uh, <laughs> He talked about starting up Big Ten football and how great it would be, and we're on the one-yard line. All right, well, okay. what do you call him? What do you call him? What do you <laughs> Line call it him? up. What do you call him, Donald? What do you call him there? <laughs> what do you got? <laughs> if you can't get a oh, yard, man. you don't deserve a season. It's the most real um, football line that's out there. If you can't right. get a yard, <laughs> you don't deserve to win. You don't. I'm sorry. Right. Um, so the availability of the testing – and the confidence level will go hand in hand, I yep. do believe. Yep. I, I'm going to say this from a PR standpoint. There is no way the Big Ten snaps their fingers and flips the lights back on this week. Like, I just don't see that. I would be, I would yeah. be very surprised if that happened. You're saying as far as, like, practices and stuff? I don't think they need to. Yeah. The, the, reason that, the reason that people were so caught up, in my opinion, on, well, why did they put the schedule out and then rip out the season? Like, how stupid was that? They had hit the wall. Training camp was ready to start. They were going to knock heads and swap spit. This was it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why. And they had to have one working while the other one was working. Like, they didn't have to go hand in hand. Like, like cause let's say you got to the point where training camp was going to start and you didn't have a schedule. Like, you were waiting to see if you could have camp. They right. were doing both things equally, so in case they both timed up right. So, I understand from an optics standpoint, it looked very stupid and made the conference look stupid. But I, I'm not getting caught up in that. They knew they were getting ready to go full contact, and that's why they pulled the plug. Should they have done it definitively? In my opinion, no. They should have delayed it. They had time to delay it. This was always a fluid situation. You never could get to a day in the year where you said, that's enough. We're shutting it down. Like I would have been okay if you tried it and got to that point. Mm -hmm. And I understood, and you and I have always been on this, I think, objectivity part of that nobody knows for sure. Like, right. when people say to me, oh, well, the other conferences are playing, I would say, yeah, they are. They're giving it a shot. They're giving it a shot. Doesn't make them right. 
mm-hmm. and it doesn't make it like they'll definitely get through. I don't know. If the Big Ten is going to try to play 10 games 10 weeks straight, that's a pretty bold move. I don't think they need to play 10. I always say, I've been saying to you for weeks, I think if they got started in mid to late October and they were able to jam in six games, I think a team like Ohio State, if they went undefeated in those six, depending on which six they were, I still think they'd have enough data. I think the committee would, would go this year as opposed to all other years on who we actually think are the best, even if we don't have enough, because you knew you weren't going to have enough. You weren't yep. going to have those big non-conference games to go on. You weren't going to have home crowds. Did this team go into that stadium and win? Like You weren't going to have those huge data points that you usually have, because when you go into a road-hostile environment and pull it off, it should be worth more, and you wouldn't have that this year. So it was going to be a crazy year. The fact that Warren took the call or that he was on this call makes me believe that. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. They're not just locked into, we're not playing. Like, well, I you, do, you know what I mean? You, I do can feel you ignore like the president's opening. call, though? <laughs> can you? I no, feel like I the full call you got to take. The Fan. The Fan. Ohio sports destination. <laughs> You're home for hockey and hounds. You're listening to Rothman and Ice. All right, welcome back, Rothman and Ice. Pete Futek, our man on the case, collegefootballnews.com, jumps on the Bryant Heating Cooling Systems Fangus Hotline. Pete, welcome back. What's going on, guys? How you been? Well, we are... (laughs) We're hanging. We're hanging by a thread, man, and so... Over the last, I don't know, 12 hours or so, or, or, you know, half a day, you get the Big Ten, whatever clarity there was there. Do you feel like Warren is a little bit off the hook now when you hear that 11-3 vote? Or are you, st- are you in the camp of that he was carrying the narrative and was able to knock some of these presidents over into postponing the season? Where do you stand on that, first of all? I honestly, I've never been against Warren on all this. It's, it's the presidents who have to make the decision here. Warren is just sort of the commissioner of the league. He's not the final call. It's the presidents who make the call on this. And the thing I, I think it's, it's having grown up my just pretty much almost my entire life on or around Big Ten campuses and be, having a father as an administrator at one and just being around all this. I think it's almost like we're talking about a completely different game than what's actually happening here. We're take, we're, we talk about this like, oh, this stinks. We don't have Big Ten football this year. The reality is the Big Ten is a multi-billion dollar business that would not make this decision that, hey, let's just blow off 600 million, or I'm sorry, 600 billion plus dollars here just for, just because. This is a, I honestly think that they thought, remember, it was all started to happen about three weeks ago when uh, all the rumors were coming out that everything was shutting down. I honestly think that they had this, in the Pac-12, and everyone else had pretty much the same information, and I think the assumption was everyone was going to be on board of this. 
The Big Ten just so happened to go first of the big conferences. The MAC went, and then you know, then it was the Big Ten, and then the Pac-12, and the SEC, uh, Big Twelve, and ACC were kind of like, eh, just just wait a wait a second here. Remember, the SEC isn't a hundred percent certain to play. All they're doing is delaying. Now that's the big thing that the Big Ten screwed up is they should have just sort of either delayed this thing, but as we're seeing across the board here. These presidents are just trying to keep the car on the track to get their colleges going, much less deal with football. So I've always sort of been an apologist, even if the PR of this doesn't really seem to be all that, uh, let's just say, good. Pete, let's talk a little college football playoff because, you know, here, you know, in Columbus, a lot of Buckeye fans and everyone around here expected this team to be absolutely in the mix with everything that they brought back. How many games do you think the committee would need to see from, let's say, a school like Ohio State to make them a legit contender this year? Because, you know, it won't shock me at all if some games get canceled or star players are out due to COVID, whatever it is, all that stuff's in play. Is it six, eight, or does it have to be like a, a full 10 games to see from the Buckeyes? Um, what's your take on that? Ball. First of all, you're, you're, you're assuming the Buckeyes are playing this year. Uh, first of all, Ohio State, they're going to be back next year. Ohio State's going to be great in 2021. They're going to be great in 2028. They're going to be oh, in the Pete, college football Pete, playoff. Pete, you, 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 we can't gloss over this team, though, man. It doesn't happen yeah, here in SEBA. Too good. They're too good. They're always too good. They were too good last yeah. year. They didn't even get to the championship. Look, last year was the year. Look, next year's going to be the year, too. The year after is going to be the year. 2009 should have been the year. Like, this program is always going to be awesome at college football yeah this team would have been fun obviously because you know it's it's you know ohio state yeah justin fields but you're gonna have another great quarterback this is all gonna go on but to your case answer your question the college football playoff is simple they're gonna say we are going to take the four best teams who are currently playing college football and we're going to decide from there i don't Mm -hmm. think if if the if Ohio State, let's say the Big Ten, I don't think this is happening, but let's say the Big Ten did say, you know, we're going to start up after Thanksgiving and we're going to try to pack in eight games. Yeah, that might be a part of this thing. So they could they could actually you know come up with something like this. But again, I I, I don't think that's happening. Remember, nobody is better at floating out trial balloons than the Big Ten. Remember how you know they floated out the hey, we're going to talk about Texas joining the Big Ten ten years ago. They're they're really good. And just somehow getting stuff out there, letting the public talk about it and debate it, and then they move on. I, there's not going to be a Big Ten season this year. I, I will be shocked if it happens in Thanksgiving. I will be shocked if it happens in the spring. I always kind of thought that was just something they threw out there just to kind of try to quiet everything down, but that wasn't going to happen. But it's going to go by fast. 2021, they're going to have faster tests. They're going to have better ways to do this. And Ohio State's going to be preseason number two next year or something. Wow, that that's a lot to digest, man. I, I I think there's a faint heartbeat still on the Big Ten, and I and I'm not saying that they need to reverse course right away. They'd never do that. Like that would be just bowing to all the pressure. I'm just saying no, that. No, but here I, I will go. I'll give you this one, and okay. uh, because of what's happening, and because what Greg Sankey and what the SEC is doing is he, Sankey has not said we are absolutely gung ho. He is saying everything is changing every day, and we will wait and see. So how the Big Ten can save face here is, and where the Big Ten screwed this up, is if you see what the Pac-12 had originally sent out, saying why they're not playing, 
It was very detailed. There was three things. One, we're in a global pandemic, you knobs. What are you doing? Two, uh, we can't figure out travel. And three, we don't trust the testing that's going to keep everyone safe enough. If you take part three of that and all of a sudden, you know, look at the NBA, the saliva direct test that they've sponsored. If that starts to become a thing and we really do have fast, reliable, easy tests that we know everyone on the field is safe, if, if the testing becomes stronger, better, and more reliable, and conferences can believe in it, let's say the mm-hmm. SEC starts up with it, and they say, yeah, this test works, the Big Ten can save face and make that about face that you were just saying and say, look, when we said we're not we're postponed, remember, the word is postponed, not canceled. When we're postponing this season, that's because at the time, we didn't trust, our medical advisor said, mm-hmm. we do not trust the test. If by October 3rd, the medical advisors say, hey, we got these tests, they work, you're good, then they might reverse course and go to Thanksgiving. But that's still, it's still a hope at this point. Yeah, I, I, and I know and we kind of hit the wall here, and I, I'm with you on where they stood at the time. I, I don't know why they definitively pulled the plug. I just I keep coming back to that. Like you could have just delayed again and not put anything in stone. And now I, I do think they could have the evidence of the SEC and these other conferences. And now the kids are getting back on campus. Um, see if there are any more opt outs. Like I think they have a little bit of luxury of waiting a few weeks to see if things get started positively. And then maybe they could start well before Thanksgiving and and give it a shot. But you know, in our final 30 seconds, your confidence then, it sounds, is very low in the Big Ten restarting their season to actually make an impact for the college football playoff. I work, My business is college football news. It is my livelihood. It is my life. It is what I do. It is what I love. And so I don't say this lightly. I think there's a better chance of there not being other Power 5 conference mm-hmm. football uh, after you know October 1st than there would be of the Big Ten actually starting up uh, in Thanksgiving. Okay. Well, that's what it's about. It's all opinions at this point, and nobody knows what the totally. future will hold, but we appreciate it, Pete. Thanks for jumping on. We want college football. We're going to oh, have yeah. something this weekend. We're college football no, start up. No. Well, let's see how this okay. thing goes. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah. That's me. Nothing extra. Just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. That's that. <laughs> Thanks, Pete. Have a good one, bud. Hey, Thanks, Pete. Anytime, uh, guys. Pete Futek, college football news publisher on the Brian Heating Cooling Systems Fan Guest Hotline. Rossman and Ice is sponsored by your local Pella Window and Door showroom on Gemini Parkway. The Fan, Ohio Sports Destination. Movie references you may not get, even if you saw the movie. This is Rothman and Ice. All right, welcome back, Rothman and Ice. Very happy to welcome back to the program Rick Neuheisel, the former Pac-10 championship coach, Rose Bowl coach, and... All around good dude, Rick. Welcome back. It's nice to be back with you. Yeah, when I, when someone's calling me a good dude, that's the kind of program I want to be on. That's it, baby. All right. Well, let me take you back. Let's go on the way back machine for a little bit, and let me see if my memory serves me correctly. Um, Rose Bowl against Purdue, correct? As a coach, that's correct. And that's then I right. Got 
play. I got to play in a couple Rose Bowls back in '83 and '84 against Michigan and Illinois. Yeah, and you were an MVP in, in that one, correct? Against Illinois, 1984. Yeah. You have quite the memory. Yeah. All right. Here's here's where I, where I really wanted to take you. You had to prepare for Drew Brees in that Rose Bowl, did you not? Yes, we did. What Jim was the Cheney. Jim Cheney was the coordinator at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jim now is uh, the coordinator at uh, Tennessee, having left uh, Georgia to do that. So he's been all over the place. What was that like, preparing for Drew at that time? Not, you know, his, his legendary status as a kind of a cardiac kid in college and what he could provide, that basketball on grass at Purdue that we had seen firsthand here at Ohio State. What was it like preparing that Rose Bowl for him? What do you remember? Well, they threw it all over the lot. I think he had a game that year where he threw 82 times. Uh, so they, he, he was their offense. They had a kid by the name of Taylor Stubblefield, I think was their leading receiver. Uh, and so we had a very young defense, a bunch of uh, sophomores uh, playing in the secondary. And so it was going to have to be a simple plan and hopefully just play fast. And, and uh, fortunately, we found a way to win that day. It was a heck of a game. And, and I remember meeting Drew Brees, who was a wonderful kid, uh, we uh, both teams went to Disneyland, right, as part of the uh, experience there at the Rose Bowl. And all my kids, who now are, give you an idea, are 28, 25, excuse me, 28, 26, and 23. Those three boys met Drew Brees, and only one of them could get on uh, the rides that say you have to be this tall. <laughs> Drew Brees was barely that tall to get on those rides. I'm, and to think that he is now going to be enshrined as one of the all-time greats is uh, quite the story. He has been, I, I call it, he, he has revolutionized passing because he, in my mind, is the first to really take the back shoulder throw, throwing people mm-hmm. open to a new level. And uh, I call it, it's called breezing. When you breeze, you can throw people behind them, and they just find ways to make plays. And uh, he and Sean Payton have been quite the duo. No doubt, no doubt. And, Coach, it's been, you know, very trying times here, very confusing times here in, in Big Ten country. And, you know, obviously where we're located here in Columbus, a lot of people are a little upset with what's been happening. Just from the outside looking in, Coach, and just there's been so much to unpack. What What is just your, your view of what's happening in Big Ten country right now when it comes to college football? I feel horrible for those folks. You know, I was born in Wisconsin. Uh, my mom and dad are Dick and Jane, right? I, I was this close to being named Spot. Uh, they, <laughs> they, they're both from the state of Wisconsin, both went to the University of Wisconsin. So uh, Big Ten football has been part of what we've talked about in my house for since I grew up. Obviously, we're out in the West, and, and we transitioned to the Pac-12. But uh, Big Ten football is important, and I can only imagine the pain that is being felt there in Columbus given the team that was returning given the kind of commitment and sacrifice these kids were willing to make to play, given the fact that the state has decided it's okay to play high school football, given the fact that the Browns and the Bengals are both going to play, uh, the Bearcats are going to play, uh, it, it, to me, it defies logic. It, it, it makes no sense, and someone's got to have a better answer than what's been given in the Big Ten. Listen, it's high ground to say health and safety and wellness. It's high ground, and it can always be defended, and I think we all salute that. But then you have to give some measure of transparency, and then you have to ask yourself, well, how in the heck can we be on this high ground, and yet we're saying it's safe for everybody else? Can't we at least kick the can as everybody else is? Because the commissioners in these other power conferences are not guaranteeing that they're going forward. They're just saying we're going to try. 
And why couldn't that have been the uh, course of action for the Big Ten, especially in a league that's still saying, you know what, we can practice 12 hours. I just talked to a Michigan coach yesterday that says they're still practicing. And so if that be the case, it's, it's very difficult to explain to these people and players in particular who have sacrificed and put so much into it, not only getting ready for the season, the rigors that go with that, along with that, which they're used to, but also the rigors of you know, this quarantining, the quasi-bubble that's been built on all these campuses. I, I just don't understand where these presidents can say they're going to be safer now because they're not playing football. We're seeing all sorts of outbreaks of, of COVID all over the country because there's been a return to campus. So they're saving the ecosystem financially of their universities, but they're not at all concerned about the ecosystem of their athletic departments, given that they're asking these teams to step aside and, and watch. He's Rick Neuheisel, a former player and coach with us here on Rothman and Ice. He's on the Bryant Heating and Cooling Systems Fan Guest Hotline. Rick, how much do you buy into the fear of the liability they are the college kids who were voicing a little bit of demands if you were going to trot us back out there to prop up your athletic departments and save non-revenue sports then we'd have to deem you necessary and that would that takes you down a weird road i know we've done the name image and likeness I know health and safety, like you said, can be defended because there's uncertainty. And even though the other conferences are going forward, we, we don't know 100% it's the right decision. But how much do you think of just the whole aura of we need you because the money, got to get these games on TV? Like how much of the liability was there in case something happened, these schools were afraid of it? It's It's a giant issue. It's a giant issue. But again... Where's the liability to having kids come back to campus? I mean, you're inviting them back. You're putting them in dorm rooms. You're telling them to spread out. But but the facts of the matter are, as you know, that that the likelihood is small. And, I mean, I can find uh, an attorney or two that says, you know what, you put them in harm's way by having them back on campus at all. And and so I I think the liability still exists. I I just – and, by the way, they're still practicing. I mean, you're still saying it's okay to be together for 12 hours. We had one football game. It was Central Arkansas and Austin P. Uh, reportedly, now again, I'm getting my facts like most of us, you know, via the, the Twitter sphere and, and all of the other uh, outlets out there. But reportedly, neither Central Arkansas or Austin P. had any positives after the game. And if you watch the game, it was as sterile an environment as you could imagine, given the fact that referees had masks. Most of the coaches had masks, except those ones that were yelling <laughs> at their, their troops out there. Uh, the fans were removed from the action. Uh, to me, it, it was a good college football game, uh, won by Central Arkansas 24-17. It's fun to watch. I watched it from start to finish. I can't remember having done that with an FCS game. And, and yet, uh, we got out of it okay. As a matter of fact, Central Arkansas is going to play tomorrow night against UAB. If, if you're seeing it actually done and you can know that the kids that are haven't opted out and, and clearly we, from a liability standpoint, the fact that they had the opportunity to opt out helps, uh, that I just think that, uh, it, it's worth doing, uh, given the fact that we have seen all sorts of athletic endeavors perform successfully. Yeah, no doubt. Coach, you know, right now, as I sit here, you know, in my mind, uh, you know, I haven't fully, 
you know, embrace that there isn't going to be a Big Ten season. I've been down the middle of it, but now I'm kind of kind of training my mind to look at the other conferences and things that I'm going to be intrigued to follow throughout the year. So of the teams or of the conferences, Coach, that we know are playing right now as we sit here on the second, what jumps out to you that's something that you want to really follow this year to kind of see unfold maybe for a specific team? Well, I, I find it fascinating that we're going to have an ACC schedule uh, that has 10 conference games and includes Notre Dame. Notre Dame is going to be a conference member. Uh, I think that'll be interesting to poll the Notre Dame Subway alums out there as to whether or not they liked it, want to go back to being independent, uh, what, what they thought of the experience uh, should it come to pass that we get through the year. I also find it interesting that the ACC and the SEC, the two uh, Power Five conferences that have been you know, hell-bent to stay at eight conference games while the rest of uh, the power conferences have all gone to nine conference games, including the Big Ten. I, I find it interesting that they're going to both play ten and what will it look like when the dust settles if we get to see that a finish line. Having played ten games, will there be a little bit more carnage uh, as has been the case in the other conferences? Only nine game playing conference, uh, conferences have missed the college football playoff. Both the SEC and the ACC have been in every year, uh, in the SEC once with two teams. And with that being said, uh, it, it, it obviously is beneficial to have only eight. It'll be interesting to see what, uh, what it looks like after playing 10. Uh, MVP quarterback at UCLA won a Rose Bowl, then went on to have an, an excellent coaching career, won a Rose Bowl with Washington, beating Purdue in 01. Let me do this in our final minute, and I asked this to uh, Maddie before you came on. I think the college football playoff committee uh, has a minimum number of games that they would require a Big Ten team or an Ohio State to play to be considered, or do you think it's such a wild year that – if they played six or seven and another conference played eight or ten, that they would just discuss it as if that's that it's open-ended. It's just we have to decide the four best still. Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think the, 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 you answered your question, and it's the four best. And mm-hmm. I think if we got, if we got to seven, I, I'm, my original thought was eight, but if we got to seven and somebody ran the table like a Ohio State team and, and looked good doing it, uh, that it would be hard to keep them out. Uh, and, and I don't think anybody would blink. I don't think mm-hmm. anybody would blink uh, at the end of the day, given the fact that this is such a one-off type of season. I think we're just happy to have games. We're happy to see these kids have an opportunity to fulfill their dreams. And as I remember being in the locker room as a player, and I remember being in the locker room as a coach, you can't imagine how important it is to everybody involved to get a season done. So uh, I got my fingers crossed that something good will happen. I understand that decisions have been made, and it's hard to walk things back. But, heck, this is a one-off kind of season. Notre Dame's play. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In the ACC, so anything can happen. Rick, we really appreciate value the conversation with you. We'll ring you back shortly. You be well. Thanks for jumping on. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, my friend. Talk soon. Yep. Yep. Rick Neuheisel, uh, the former great player, great coach, jumped on the Bryant Heating and Cooling Systems fan guest hotline. 
The Fan. The Fan. The fan. The fan. Ohio Sports Destination. Rothman and Ice present Buckeye Bulletin. Sponsored by Logan AC and Heat Services. Feeling the heat? Call the experts at Logan Services now for hot deals on train systems, including 0% APR for 60 months. All right, Maddie, Buckeye Bolton time. Former Buckeye Dwayne Haskins. Week one for the Washington football squad. Uh, there wasn't really a question here, I don't believe. Was there in your mind? Uh, Alex Smith had been cleared for football. We know he may never really. I mean, everyone's rooting for him. It's an unbelievable story. It's hard to even believe. Um, but Dwayne, is get, this is the guy that they want to see what they have. He flashed in the final games last year. Comes back. Uh, weird off season, no real, no preseason. Um, I think you got to expect that he will have a if he can keep that TD to interception rate in a good spot and use his weapons. You're probably looking at a three K season with potentially twenty TDs. Yeah, I, I'm a believer. I'm a believer in the talent, man. And I know there's some people out there that are questioning what they saw. Last year from Dwayne Haskins, I don't know how fair of a situation that was, you know, with what he was dealing with. I mean, Terry McLaurin turned himself into a number one receiver. I believe in that. But outside of that, AR, there ain't a lot of juice that he has to work with. So we'll see what comes of this. But I I believe that he can be more than a competent quarterback, more than an average quarterback in the NFL. And you mentioned that touchdown interception ratio. That was five to one in the month of December. So when he was really going out there um, at the latter portion of the season, he played pretty well for Washington. Good. Let's see if he can piece this together. I know this offseason he really focused in on dropping some weight and getting in better shape and all that stuff. So it's important, but you got a new coach in the building. He's got to prove to him starting next week that he can go out there and get it done at a high clip. So uh, we'll see what he can piece together, AR, but I do think kind of what we've been touching on here is the latter portion of last year, it gives you some confidence that he can continue to build off of that. We just got to see if some other Washington uh, players want to yeah. join the party. No doubt about it. Who's uh, who's leading the way for their uh, for their backfield, sir? Well, Darius, guys, he's gone. They released him. Well, you, you know got who it is. The OG. It's a rhetorical. At AP all day. But That's there's, right. There's some other names out there. There's some other names. How about Antonio Gibson? You remember? Uh huh. Uh-huh. You remember the name Bryce Love from Stanford? Uh-huh. I mean, look, these are names that are on their roster. I don't know what impact they have, AR, but I think you're looking at the OG all day. Unbelievable. It, done again. it is crazy. It's wild. It is crazy. Uh, we will confirm now that uh, yesterday when we talked about the three-star tight end out of Georgia, Bennett Christian, yeah. has committed to Ohio State. Announced that through the Instagram, through the IG, through the gram, as the kids say, choosing the Buckeyes over a couple other schools. Tennessee and Penn State were in the mix yeah. in his final three. And he, the as you mentioned, the 6'6", 230-plus class of 2022. Um Announced last night, and he is ready to go for Ohio State. And it was a uh, a very welcomed addition. Seems like yeah. a good dude. Good yeah, kid. They're- they're building class twenty two. They've got six guys in that class right now. Ar, he's only the second offensive player in the class, and so that goes along with an offensive tackle. But uh, yeah, not surprising at all that they are continuing to crank this thing out. And uh, yeah, you beat out Tennessee. I know there were some ties there, but I said yesterday I would have been surprised if you picked that over Ohio State in the football machine. That is the Buckeyes. Lions locking up their uh, homegrown talent and Taylor Decker. Correct? How about it? How about it? Uh, How about it? 
You got the details on this? The deets? I can get the deets for you if you continue. It's a multi-year deal. I think it's an $85 million extension. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, wow. I was giving you the uh, the honors of mentioning that incredible figure because it's unbelievable. <laughs> His extension includes about 37.5 mil fully guaranteed. Yeah. Uh, the deal tax on four new years to his existing deal that is set to pay him $10 million this year, $10 million in change. You and I would take the change. Mm. Uh, the following four years are worth $60 mil. There's a sixth and final year on the contract that's be voidable for, as we like to say in the amateur GM area, the, the cap management reasons. Yeah. Uh, I got a file called Cap Management uh, explaining that, that the six-year, $85 million number made public by his representation. So it's on the books, man. Here we go. $7.5 yeah. million dollar signing bonus. That'll be paid out in 17 beautiful installments in 2020. Um, you'll get a, a six and a half in 20 and 13 mil guaranteed in 2021. It goes on and on. You get a nice quarter mil workout bonus in there. Get a nice half million dollar roster bonus if he's there in 2024. Mm. So sixty no, million in new money is how we put a bow on that. Big time, uh, yeah. He's rookie of the year for the squad for their squad back in 2016. My only question is, Air is he going to be blocking for Stafford? Mm-hmm. You know, what quarterback is he blocking? For? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You know, yeah. there's some, some questions about whether he's going to be. I think he's, what, sold his crib not too mm-hmm. long ago up there in Detroit. So, you know, we heard that about Tom Brady, and they told us it was nothing, too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, that is today's Buckeye Bulletin. All your favorite fan shows are available when you want them. Head to 971thefan.com and hit that subscribe button. The Fan, Ohio sports destination. Most shows just skim the surface, but Rothman and I feel like the biggest story of the day deserves a closer look. It's time for a deeper dive. All right, welcome back in. Rothman and Ice. Anthony Rothman, Matty Ice Hayes, CB. Hoping not to pop any stitches today like he did yesterday when he bellowed out something and, and ripped a few. Uh, I still don't know if he's doing truth or not today. I, I have not. I, he's I back. I, I think he's back on the IL. That's what I would recommend. I, I would not. I would not uh, chance it anymore. The dude's tempting fate. He got all fired up and and then uh, blew his Levi's, and now he may have blown a stitch. I don't know. Anyway, let's talk about the big reversal if there's going to be one and that's what it'll be named the big yeah. reversal <laughs> I, 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 do, I, I, mean, I, I like that I, I'm gonna, I like well it. i will say this or the big end around or whatever you want to do you could come up with some whatever football term the double reverse the big that's probably actually it's probably the big tens double reverse because that's what it feels like you know what it feels like to me it feels like the big 10 and their fans are trying to keep this Music City miracle alive. Like, we just keep lateraling the ball. And guess what happens when you lateral? You keep going backwards. Well, that's what it feels like to me. Like, the play's still alive. Like, like Stanford Cal, like, the band might be on the field, and the play's still alive, and we're knocking into things. And we really don't know what's going on. But I, I hear a lot of people saying, well, they'll never admit they were wrong. They admit their leaders don't admit they're wrong. Smart people. Here's what I will tell you. 
they don't have to admit they were wrong. They just have to offer up why that now feels more right. That's it. Stop the, asking them for an apology. They're not going to apologize. They, they made their decision. Was it premature? Was it too definitive? Okay. In my opinion, yes. It doesn't make them wrong. But these people that say they'll never admit they were wrong, they don't have to. Stop getting hung up on that. All they have to do is see enough evidence and get more information to offer up why they feel more right. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah, no, and I, I do think, you know, they won't verbally admit that they were, quote, wrong, but I do think if we get the reversal or the big Hail Mary or however we want to label this thing, um, that is an admission that they were wrong. That's going to be enough to me if this thing turns around and we get a season going, whether it's October 10th or Thanksgiving, whatever the heck, we get a season if we get one. That's enough. I, I, I don't need to hear it. I'm sorry from them. I don't need to hear I'm wrong. Like, we will know that they made the wrong call on the timing of all of this because that's been the big thing. I, I was I was surprised when they made the call that they did, you know, for being first. Now, you know, some of the stuff's out there, if, if you believe it, that, you know, maybe in the Big Ten's minds, they got a little full of themselves and they thought that just because they did it first, the other conferences were going to follow. Obviously, that wasn't the case outside of the Pac-12. Um, but yeah, like that's just where we are with this. And my mind's been all over the place reading all this stuff at night, reading all this stuff in the morning. I know you have too. And it's just been a wild ride for everyone involved. And like I've been saying, this could have been, you know, prevented if out of the gates that, you know, Kevin Warren cleared up how the vote went down. Was there actually a vote? And then the couple times after that, like, you know, when I saw him on Big Ten Network sitting down with Dave Revson, that did not go over very well. There was no clarity there. So that's why we're at the point where we are right now. And with this meeting that went down yesterday between the White House and the Big Ten, we still don't know if their minds are changed on the medical front. You know, there was stuff thrown out there that, you know, it went well or, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but that's kind of the vibe that was thrown out there for some of the tweets that I saw yesterday, AR. So until their minds are completely in the clear that the medical information that we had before is not wrong, but it has changed a little bit and we feel comfortable about what we can do now on the medical front. I don't know if we get a change, and I definitely don't think we get a change that's going to turn around here fairly soon because that's what they were hell-bent on was the medical stuff, the medical stuff, the medical stuff. And I I don't know if their minds are changed until we hear from them, you know? Well, we've heard from one. We've heard from Purdue President Mitch Daniels. He made his his comments uh, today or yesterday, and he he provided a statement through a spokesperson. He didn't do a live interview. But he was among he was among those who voted not to play any sports during the fall season, during the pandemic. And the Big Ten in that court filing, which I guess people still want to act as a lie, but it was a court filing. The Big Ten said the vote was eleven to three in favor of postponing the twenty twenty season. And I said to the people that are accusing that of being a lie, like a like a just a blatant lie, like there was no vote and they made up the numbers, like. So if I so if I didn't vote no, why would I want to be in that group? We all know the three that didn't. So yeah. you can do the math. Like let's say I was Mitch Daniels and I voted to play. Well, then why would I want my name attached to a no? Like it, so I believed it. I don't know if it was a a yay or a nay or they really pinned them down and said, "Okay, this is it." But there was some deliberation on it, and that's why when Warren came out and did that interview on Big Ten Network, it wasn't that he lied. 
It's that he left things out. Yep. He he was correct, it looks like, in saying that there was a vote and there was overwhelming support postponing fall sports. If, if you believe the numbers, 11 to 3, then he was right in saying that. That was a fact. It was overwhelming. What he, Where his mistake was made, in my estimation, was tacking on, it will not be revisited. Why? We're living in a fluid world. We're living in a world where week to week, month to month, things can change for better and worse. So why would you say we won't revisit it? Why would you put a lid on it? Like, it, it, it doesn't even need to be. Like, you could have almost survived by saying, our training camps are about to start. Full contact. We don't have confidence in it. Here's why. We talk to our medical task force. We talk to our doctors and trainers. This is where the presidents were leaning, and that's why we are delaying. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Now, could he have communicated it better? Of course, and he'll always wear that. There's no, he can't get a redo on that. Uh, you know, will he never be able to hand out a trophy in his life? Of course not. Every commissioner in this universe is, is universally hated. Or at least disliked. Like, they just don't feel like the, that the commissioners of these leagues have the best interest in mind of their sports. Except that It's Adam all Silver. just protecting owners and, and, and counting the beans. And so, I, I agree with you. That's why I said earlier that Silver is He's kind of accepted. I don't think it's, like, universally loved, but he might be the outlier. But n- name me a commissioner. Like, it's, it's much more that aren't like than are like. Of course. Yeah, I mean, okay, so, yeah, so he'll no survive. He'll survive being able to hand out a trophy. Believe me, if we get to the days where we're handing out a trophy, uh, I, we're watching games again. I'm not saying he won't be booed. I'm not saying he won't be. I'm not saying uh, no, people I'm are going to like him. I'm, I'm just saying that I think he can still do it. I, look, I, people I, say I, he physically can't do it. I don't think that. I would be surprised if we get a 2021 season under our belt. Some next assistant fall. gets thrown out there. No, as normal. I'm just saying, like if we, you know, he Big Ten championship game down at Indy. Let's say you know the Buckeyes get it done. Mm-hmm. You know, some Buckeye fans that have been sitting in the stands, oh, maybe had a few adult pops. They they're not going to be over this, especially no, if no. we don't get this year's team to go out there and perform. So the interaction between the fan base and Kevin Warren, I- I'm with it. It's never going to Listen, be warm and, and cuddly. I just, I do, I- all I'll say is this, AR, I don't think, uh, I'm not going to be surprised if this thing lingers on because we know how fans can be, especially fans that feel like they had something ripped away from them that could have equated. To oh, there's no team. question. If they don't get back on the field this year, then they don't get to compete for a title then it's trouble. I agree. Mm-hmm. And he knows it. And he knows it. He's lived it. He's lived it for the last whatever weeks. Like He absolutely knows the backlash now. And I'm not saying he can't stand up to it. And he's admitted fault. But guess what they finally did? Instead of throwing out the human shield, they finally got the presidents to... They, that, that, that lawsuit by the Nebraska kids finally got them to say, okay, we got to get on the record here of how we voted. Like, I can't just throw out phrases like overwhelmingly. Like, people yeah. need to know. And so that's what happened. And that's what I've been yelling for for a while. And if OSU and Nebraska and Iowa wanted to play because the investment in testing is there and, you know, if, if the investment in testing gets better and that's the big hurdle for a lot of these presidents that voted on the other side, then we're going to find out. Rothman and Ice. I think the October situation 
is alive. I wouldn't call it alive and well. The only way... People keep asking the question, what's the difference between Thanksgiving and October? Like, if you think it's going to be safe, they don't know if it's going to be safe in Thanksgiving. They have no clue in their own minds whether it'll be different. They need evidence. They're going to need something. They're either going to need the medical evidence to make them more confident or then the big plan will be delay, 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 and they'll put a Thanksgiving plan together. But as Buckeye fans know, it means nothing to them. It probably won't mean anything because they're in no man's land. I heard Dan Patrick say the other day or yesterday that his source believed that October 10th is like the drop-dead date for being involved in a playoff. I don't. Is anybody from the college football playoff committee on record as saying how many games teams need to play to be considered? I, I unless I that. missed it. Yeah, I have not seen that either. I'm with someone you. needs to ask them that. That question needs to be asked to the chairman. Like that has okay. to that because that unless behind the scenes they already know. But I I'm only going on. I don't think Ohio State has to play ten games to be considered. Now, if you only played six and lost one of them, okay, you're, you're probably out. Yeah, you're cooked. Like, like you better look really good in the ones that you are going to play. But I just keep coming back to until someone says out loud, yep, minimum eight games, minimum ten games. Well, then we would know the urgency of starting October 10th. Yeah, Bama's no Bama's going to play their third game on October 10th. Clemson will be playing their fourth Mm-hmm. You can play catch up to that a little bit. Like, is it yeah. fair if they play ten and you play seven? Of course not. Uh, it's not. Maybe not, but maybe you'd be seated fourth then, right? Right. Instead of number yeah. one, I don't know. Yeah, no, like, I think it's great that you're bringing up all this stuff because I think it's very important. And that date, the start time of the season, is absolutely huge. But it goes back to the conversation that we had to start the show with this new information that's out there. You know, with the White House and Kevin Warren sitting down having a, a conversation. Does the Big Ten as a whole, the commissioners and everyone involved, feel better better about the medical advice that they can get, or about the medical um, the medical situation going forward? If that's not the case, I don't think we're getting a a situation that's changed here and absolutely on the competition side of things i think in my eyes i think eight feels better than six like if you told me an eight game season can get you into the conversation i absolutely think that would be a real thing i think if we flip the situation and we were playing and we were having conversations of do we think Bama and Clemson deserve to be in the mix if they only played six games? I think I would probably say no. So I think on the flip side of that, I do think eight games to me would be kind of a fair assessment for a football team. But at the end of the day, if Ohio State goes out there and they got a donut up there in the L column, I think they're going to get the benefit of the doubt because of the carryover from last year and the track record that Ohio State has just as a football program. So I think eight games they are, if they're Eight and zero, and Clemson and Alabama; those teams are ten and zero. I think that's enough. I don't know if six is quite enough to get you in that conversation. It may not be, and it depends on what the other games look like. If the SEC is playing the big boys of their conference, and those games go a certain way, pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. 
Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. That'll be an interesting debate for us to have. I don't even know how many of the Big Ten schools would be willing to go forward, even if Warren, I mean, maybe the president, if Warren gave him the thumbs up and they felt like the testing was where it needed to be, uh, a month from now, the confidence meter goes up, well then, okay, but how many of the Big Ten teams are going to go do it? The, 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 fan, the fan, Ohio's sports destination. The best of Rothman and Ice. All right, welcome back, Rothman and Ice. And we welcome on Jeff Lloyd, Pro Football Network, Locked On Browns. He's with us on the Bryant Heating Cooling Systems Fan Guest Hotline, and I just hear Ari Gold yelling, Lloyd! Lloyd, he's with us now. Good to have you. <laughs> uh, let me How are you, gentlemen? How's everything going today? Good, good. We need that. We need an open for you like that. That would be sensational. Um, all right, so let's talk about I can't believe we are this close. What are we... I mean, are we... Where are... This season is going to be starting. I, I, I got to look at the They go to Baltimore, right? I mean, this is like unbelievable how how confident are you jeff in the line right now and um what they're going to have around batonio and treader is he coming back where's the confidence level uh, I think you like what you see so far from this line we knew it was going to be a work in progress with obviously the abbreviated offseason you know jedrick wills and you know some people with uh, well it looks like he's having some struggles he is of course he's going from the right side to the left side he didn't get the appropriate amount of time with you know between OTAs and mini camps before training camp, but he's putting the work in day in day out. There's going to be tight end help that they're going to give to him. That's the joy of this offense that Stefanski's running. He can take Wills through this process. There's going to be a lot of fullback. There's going to be a lot of two tight end sets. You can offset the fact that you have a left tackle who essentially is learning the left side on the fly. I think Treader is the one you're probably concerned about here. Look, Nick, Nick Harris has gotten the lion's share of the work at center to this point. But Baltimore, you know, with the addition of Calais Campbell and what they have on that defensive front, that's a rough opponent to be going into in your first NFL action. Um, JC, my guess is if we don't hear anything probably by Monday, that means JC's probably not going to be a part of week one. Um, do they need him? Sure. Um, is Nick Harris, you know, knowledgeable enough within the system to go out there and play? Probably he is, but you know, again, your first you know live ammunition that you're going to see, so to speak, being the Ravens' defensive line, it's certainly going to cause you know you some hesitation. But I do believe with this outside zone, it, they can cover it up because the goal is to essentially you know either run outside of the tackle or cut up between the guard tackle hole. And to this point, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt with Nick Harris playing you know center in camp have done that and done it well so far. Jeff, I want to stay on the offensive side of the ball, man, and you kind of touched on the tight end group there pretty quickly, but, uh, you know, Harrison Bryant, man, is a name I keep seeing pop up every once in a while, and you touched on Stefanski and how the tight ends can be involved, you know, with the offense that he's bringing over to Cleveland. Like, What are you expecting, not just from Harrison Bryant, but maybe the tight end group as a whole this season? I, I actually, you know, you have to really like the mix of it. Austin Hooper, um, and you can tell that obviously he and Baker Mayfield spent time together in the offseason. The relationship was there, you know, right from the beginning of what we were able to see of training camp. You know, where Hooper is, Baker's looking. Hooper seems to know where it is. You know, Baker develops these good relationships, you know, with with certain players. We saw it, you know, in 2018 with Rashard Higgins. 
still working out the kinks, obviously, with Odell Beckham. And, you know, Jarvis and, you know, Baker have had a good report to this point. But with everybody healthy, that's starting to look pretty good. The tight end room, Hooper has looked great. You know, Najoku, there was the difficulty of missing time yet again. But David is such a physical, athletic presence at the position. And for Browns fans, oh, we'll trade him, trade him, trade him. I understand the premise of it, maybe. But you're not going to get a big enough return. And if David Najoku can't succeed in this tight end friendly scheme, David Njoku is probably never going to succeed to what any better than he was in 2018 in the NFL. Uh, uh, Austin, with Bryant, it's just been uh, it's been so great to watch as far as the receiving aspect of it. You know, you want your tight ends to catch everything. We have seen that endlessly from Bryant up until this point. They run this play, they run what is called a wide leak wide leak play, where is you're showing play action like you were going to run. You know, the wide zone scheme. Your tight end blocks blocks down count of two then releases the quarterback, you know, rolls the other way, hits tight ends in the flat, and this has been open the entire amount of training camp that they've run it, and Harrison Bryant has excelled in that. He's got the height to succeed within the red zone. I would have said, you know, a couple of weeks ago that this is great that he is contributing as much as he is within the passing game, but the tell was going to be whether or not, you know, he is developing as a blocker. With the footage we've been given, it's hard to see how much he has developed in that respect. He certainly put in the work. But I think Harrison Bryant's going to play a good amount of snaps, and I don't think the Browns care if it's going to be a tell to the defense that he comes on the field that most likely it's going to be a pass. He's succeeded so well to this point that anything you get out of him blocking-wise is gravy. Then you're going to have that battle between Farrell Brown and Stephen Carlson for the last tight end spot. I think it's going to go to Farrell Brown just because Farrell Brown is your best, second-best blocker within the tight end room. Now, Joku has his warts in the blocking game, as we know. Harrison Bryant is still learning, obviously. Farrell Brown, this was you know his calling card, why he played a lot last season. Him catching the ball in camp here has been gravy to this point. I think they're going to keep him because there's going to be obvious sets where they want the two best blocking tight ends on the field, and that would be Brown and Hooper. But of all these four tight ends, these guys are going to probably see a lot of reps, especially early in the season, while they work everything else out and start to get more and more comfortable where they can start to add more of you know Coach Stefanski's beliefs and system into this offense. They're probably only working at maybe – 60 to 65 percent right now each week you'll probably look to graduate you know know, graduate five to ten percent of what he can put in of the playbook he's giving you the finer points of the 2020 cleveland browns he's jeff lloyd host of locked on browns pro football network as well pfn 365 on twitter let me uh let's switch over to the defense and we know exactly what they have on that line um the secondary you know needs to come together this year for sure um, who has to live up to their potential more, do you think, Jeff, that, that defensive line or the defensive secondary for them to be very successful? I think the defensive line. Um, when you, what you're talking about, what's construed here, and look, losing Andrew Billings was a loss, but what they had otherwise as far as guys that could get after the passer, Larry Ogunjobi, the first couple of weeks of 2018, he and Miles Garrett were going at it, you know, sack numbers for sack numbers for almost the first month of the season. Larry can get after the passer. Sheldon Richardson has that unique blend where he played a lot of defensive end last season. Ken obviously plays as your starting defensive tackle. Ken create pass rush himself as well. Then you get to, you know, Olivier Vernon healthy, and I think they've handled him smartly this camp. You know, keeping the reps down, realizing that, you know, regular season has a heck of a lot more important than beating up on, you know, your teammates because you don't even get preseason games. Then you bring in an Adrian Claiborne. And for a rotational guy, former first-round pick, 10th year in the league, 
you know, averages, you know, between four to seven sacks per year, depending on playing time. The emergence of Porter Gustin to this point, this was a guy I really liked when they brought him in last year when they were decimated by injuries. He's got a great athletic profile out of USC. He played D-end at USC before he was shifted to linebacker later in his career. He can get after the passer. He had a rep against Jack Conklin that was just perfect. There was not even a misstep. The hand usage was fantastic. And this is a guy that's going to be your fourth pass rusher. The secondary, yeah, obviously the grand help, it's a loss. And these guys are going to have to come together. The cornerback unit has played well. But the potential for this defensive line and the amount of pressure they can possibly generate, the amount of sacks they should be able to get, it's a high, high number. We're probably talking top five in the NFL as far as, you know, sacks they can probably get. Um, if it all goes through Miles Garrett, and obviously he's going to draw a lot of the attention. But, you know, Claiborne was a first-round pick. Olivier Vernon has had crazy success. Dustin Richardson, Ogan Joby. If you're going to go double-team Miles Garrett, you're putting a lot of great players in some one-on-one situations. And to this point of their career, they've won more of those. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I lost. Really good stuff with Jeff Lloyd, Pro Football Network, locking in on the Browns today with us. Uh, we're, we're getting close, Jeff. We appreciate that insight, man, and we'll talk to you once the season begins. Thank you. I, I appreciate it, guys. All the best. Thank well you, done. Jeff. Yep. Jeff Lloyd was on the Bryant Heating and Cooling Systems Fan Guest Hotline. Rossman and Ice is sponsored by your local Pella Window and Door Showroom on Gemini Parkway. The Fan, Ohio Sports Destination. You're home for hockey and hounds. You're listening to Rothman and Ice. All right, welcome back. He doesn't scratch his head unless it itches, and he doesn't dance unless he hears some music. And he hears some music, so he's going to dance. That's Ian Hart. It's our friend from Pro Football Focus. On the Brian Heating Coin Systems Fan Guest Hotline. Ian, welcome back. Thanks for having me, guys. Hell of an intro. I do got a little pep in my step. It's fantasy football draft season, guys. Let's go. Let's Absolutely. Go. I thought you'd I thought you'd get a bang out of that little uh remember the Titans little drop there. All right, so <laughs> let me ask you this. Is number one like as clear cut as clear cut can be? Like if you were and I know this only affects the people that get lucky enough to pick number one in their draft, and maybe I don't know, maybe you wouldn't even want to pick number one in your draft. Maybe the ideal spot is three or four because you can get one of the big running backs and then you swing back faster. Uh, would you love to be number one this year? And if so, is Christian McCaffrey the lock? So that's the interesting part of it. Yeah, if you have number one, you're drafting Christian McCaffrey. The guy averaged a full six fantasy points more than the next highest-scoring skill guy last season. But, I mean, I had a draft personally a couple of weeks ago where I got to pick what spot, and I ended up going number two mm-hmm. because just kind of, you know, every league is different with your keepers and league size and all that. But to me, like, I'm trying as hard as I can to leave the first two rounds of every draft with, like, two of these top 15 running backs. And, you know, if you're, you know, if you're in one of these 16 teams league or something, like, yeah, 
yeah, it's great to have McCaffrey, but all of a sudden you get to pick 32 on the wraparound, and you're probably not as happy uh, with those guys. So I definitely think there's something to be said. I mean, just get one of these top if you can get one of the top three running backs, I'm thinking McCaffrey, Saquon, Zeke. Like, yeah, I think we'll all rank CMC the highest of that group, but I don't think anyone's looking at your roster and saying, okay, you have a problem at RB1. You know, I want to head out to Seattle, man, because their running back situation isn't very clear right now. Chris Carson, you know, coming off the big-time injury that he had, also had some fumbling issues a year ago. Where would you feel comfortable nabbing Chris Carson in this year's draft? Carson's interesting because as much as he was the bell cow in Seattle last year, I mean, we did have this stretch in week 12 and 13 when Rashad Penny finally did get healthy uh, briefly, and we only saw Carson playing about half of the team's snaps. It was a true two-back committee, and, you know, they didn't add a ton to the room. I mean, DJ Dallas, fourth-round pick, and, you know, Carlos Hyde, it's not a lot, but it's enough to make me concerned about him having kind of that three-down bell cow role we had to start the season. And as you said, I mean, I don't know how many more fumbles any coaching staff could watch without being concerned about the guy's uh, you know, chances to uh, keep on with the future role. So I have Chris Carson as my RB18. You know, I have him ahead of guys like Leonard Fournette, Todd Gurley, because I, I do think Carson, when he, the ball is in his hands, I mean, he's just a tough guy to bring down. I think he definitely is a talented back. There's no, like, worries about him, you know, being washed or just really being ineffective. But, you know, the, the kind of newfound workload concerns has me taken, you know, your David Johnson, your James Connors, your even the your Josh Jacobs of the world where, okay, you know, at some point we got to take those guaranteed 250-plus touches and we can get them. All right, talking to Ian Hart, it says we examine fantasy drafts for this year. Uh, I've asked a couple people this that have come on the program. How soon is too soon for Clyde Edwards-Alaire? C-E-H. Man, I just... It's hard. I, I have him as my RB5. I'm fine taking him at that number five overall slot. So I guess very soon is the answer. I, I was sticking with uh, Dalvin Cook as that number five back for a while. But, you know, listening to, uh, you know, the GOAT Adam Schefter uh, talk about how, you know, if he was a fantasy investor and Dalvin doesn't have a contract signed by week one, he'd be a little bit concerned. And obviously Adam knows what he's talking about. So there's a little reason to be concerned. I, I think Dalvin plays week one, you know, gun to my head. But at this point now that it, it is, you know, nearly September and we haven't seen that situation get a little more clarity i felt confident moving clyde up it's just i mean even when damian williams were there i mean you don't see first round rb sit on the bench as a rookie you know they're getting fed sooner rather than later and you know i hate when these rookies enter the league and you know all of us analysts out there immediately you know compare them to ex hall of famers or, you know multiple time hall pros but it was Andy Reid himself that gave Clyde Edwards-Hilaire the comp to Brian Westbrook. And, you know, that was just one of the more fantasy-friendly situations in the league, you know, during those kind of middle to late 2000s. So I think it's, you know, best offense in the league. This guy's going to catch all the passes in the world. Empty depth chart, Patrick Mahomes. Even if you don't think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, you know, is like a Saquon Barkley-esque talent, the volume and the high-scoring offense is all there. He should be anyone's idea of a top-five back. Ian Hart is joining us here on the Brian Heating and Cooling Fan Guest Hotline Pro Football Focus, talking some fantasy football with him. And, you know, Ian, it seems like some of these teams around the league are trying to, you know, copy what the Chiefs have done. And what I mean by that is get as many offensive pieces as we can, roll them out there, and just overwhelm you with that. One of those teams that we saw kind of transform into that, or try to at least, was Tampa. But looking at it from a fantasy perspective, Ian, it looks good on paper, like this offense is going to roll. But from fantasy, I think this could be kind of tough. What's What's the one piece or who's the one piece in Tampa that you really want and really think can go out there and ball for you? 
I'm going to agree with you. I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to be a much better real life team in 2020, but it's just not, it's going to be hard and hard for them to, you know, enable two top five fantasy wide receivers like they did last year. I mean, as bad as Jameis Winston's, you know, 30 picks were for that team, it also consistently put them in comeback situations where they have to throw the ball all over the field. I mean, I would be shocked if Brady finishes tied atop the league leaderboard and pass attempts like Jameis did last season. You know, we have Bruce Arians, who his whole moniker, his entire coaching career has been no biscuit no biscuit and now he's out here saying you can't go broke taking a profit so they're going to be efficient but you know yeah looking at these ranks i have chris goblin as my wide receiver 10 mike evans a little bit down as my wide receiver 18 and obviously mike evans is anyone's idea of an elite wide receiver talent i mean him and randy moss only guys ever to start their career with six straight seasons with at least a thousand receiving yards but you know goblin he has that familiar slot role that brady you know just gave julian edelman 150 plus targets last season both guys are great, and you know when Bruce Arians is coming out saying they're not really going to adjust Evans's uh, route tree, he's just a vertical wide receiver, and they're going to keep him doing what he does best. It does make me think that Goblin will become the leader here. And you know the big issue we had in this offense last year, I was one of you know several people out there to just really hang our hat on the OJ Howard train, and that didn't work out. And I think the big takeaway from that was you know be careful in an offense that you know isn't the Chiefs, isn't the Cowboys. Like we're not sure if they can really you know put up a ton and ton of points, be careful about projecting, you know, more than one or two really high-end fantasy assets. So I think uh, that's why I've been a little bit lower. You know, Chris Goblin, top 10. Gronk, maybe he's uh, fine after coming back. But then the RB rooms, a little bit of a mess now, too, at Ronald Jones, uh, apparently maybe spraining his ankle in practice today. So I'd say Chris Goblin. I'm okay with Rojo at value around that RB30 range. But, yeah, in general, I think we should lower our fantasy expectations for the 2020 bucks. All right, Ian, I assume you're in the wait-to-draft-a-quarterback mode, right? I mean, you, or, or, is, or is Mahomes and Lamar so intriguing that you would reach? I'm going to be waiting. I have been uh, more times than I. It's just, you know, you do some of these best balls or mock drafts, and you kind of see what the roster looks like when you're devoting one of those top three picks to a quarterback versus an RB, and it's just hard to catch up. You know, we have guys like Matthew Stafford, who was fourth in fancy points per game last year among QBs. He was just got hurt, and he's going, you know, around that QB1 borderline. You have Drew Brees, who's a little bit later. I mean, Brees had the one game against the Rams where he, like, broke his thumb the second drive or whatever it was. If you just remove that game I mean he's had the second most fantasy points per game behind only Lamar all season so there's just value everywhere and the two guys I'm really zeroing in on uh, when it does get late are Joe Burrow and Cam Newton and Burrow you know it could be a rough little stretch to start the season don't be afraid to start you know Tyrod Taylor the first few weeks so you can get for free but Burrow he checks those boxes that we've seen in past rookie QB ones of you know he's going to be a week one starter and he actually has a decent rushing floor I mean this guy averaged 27 rushing yards per game at LA you and that's even with sacks in college counting against your rushing total so love Joe Burrow especially at cost and Cam Newton man I mean as soon as he got signed to the Patriots I, I ranked him as a borderline QB1 because that's all he's been when he's been out there on the field we just haven't seen the healthy version and now as you know training camp is progressing you know we're seeing him kind of rise up everyone ranks as we get more and more evidence that he is healthy look I mean you don't have to think Cam Newton's just gonna you know morph back into 2015 super cam or anything like that this mm-hmm. year but we just don't have any evidence of Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. 
Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Him not being a top 12 fantasy QB when he's out there. And, you know, guess what? All reports from camp, Cam Newton is the guy in New England. So, you know, when you're looking at these QBs outside the top 15 and these double-digit rounds of drafts, you know, get you a Joe Burrow, Cam Newton, even a Gardner Minshew, uh, someone that, you know, has the passing upside but also has that, you know, ever-important fantasy uh, rushing floor. Ian, great <laughs> stuff, man. We appreciate it, and we'll ring you back soon. Thanks, pal. Good talking, guys, as always. Have a good one. The Fan, Ohio sports destination. You're listening to Rothman and Ice. All right, Maddie. We did our NFC storylines, our big three storylines that we are looking forward to this season. Time for the AFC. I'll let you kick it off. All right. Well, you know, I'm going to head down. Slate Grace. Yeah. Yeah. Can I get a little bit more? Tag group of renegades. Mm. Autumn is a pirate. Mm. Go ahead. Yeah. No, it gets me going every time. I love when you do that. But let's take a trip down to H-Town, the home of Beyonce. The home of a strip mm. club, home of a strip club that retired James Harden's jersey up in the rafters because he spent so much money there. This Houston Texans offense, AR, specifically this offense. Look, mm-hmm. we know they have it. We know they've got an all world quarterback. He's going to be a little bitter with the way the season ended, blowing that 24 to nothing lead mm-hmm. against the Chiefs. He's been hearing all offseason Mahomes, Lamar, even Kyler Murray now is getting a ton of love from guys like me. But I still think that's the concept. But all the other pieces, AR, these names, David Johnson, Brandon Cooks, Randall Cobb, Will Fuller, I think they can be a sneaky good offense. Now, Mm -hmm. my belief, or some of this is my belief that David Johnson can bounce back. 2016, we know what it was. 1,000 yards rushing, 879 yards receiving. 2018 was solid. But in between that, there's been a lot of ugly. Last year, he got his job taken from Kenyon Drake. Maybe that was fit. Cliff Kingsbury, maybe one of a different running back. I don't know, but I still think that he can be a competent running back. And these wide receivers, Brandon Cooks, 1,000 yards in four of his six seasons, AR, with a guy like Deshaun Watson, this is kind of like the all-name team right here with with down there in, in, in H-Town. I just believe that they have a chance, if guys stay healthy, to be an office that we talk about uh, more so than maybe we thought we would be. All right, number one for me, and I think it's number one for a lot of people, Cameron Jarrell Newton. Oh, Jarrell. I love that. Yes. Jarrell. <laughs> Superman's biological father. Um, I don't know if that's why his... I don't think they spell it the same, but that's what I've always believed. When he does the Superman, I think of Jarrell. Yeah. Uh, kill the son of a jailer. All right. So, I do believe he is the key to everything. And keeping Belichick's win st- winning season streak alive that I mentioned months ago on this program, 19 straight, going after 20 straight to tie the great Tom Landry. It's a one-year deal. Coming off Liz Frank, mm. the shoulder surgery, the last two games that he played, he had negative rushing yards. He is the biggest question mark in the AFC in my estimation. There haven't been many quarterbacks who have ever rushed for more than 400 or 500 for sure after the age of 30. We'll see if he can do it. That's going to be a big part of what makes him effective on that team. The number one storyline in the AFC is Cam Newton. Can he save the Patriots' playoff hopes? Oof, man. It's fascinating. Fascinating. I love that one. Second one for me, AR. I'm going to head to the potential home of Big Ten football 
in Indianapolis. The Indianapolis Colts. Ooh. You mentioned it this week. Their offensive line through the roof. Lights out. Ridiculous. We know that that is the core of their offense. That's the strength of their offense right there. But is Phillip Rivers cooked? Is he done? I don't know. Last year, Jameis Winston, I know, went out and, what, did 30 for 30, and that took a lot of heat off of Phillip Rivers' 20 interceptions to only 23 touchdowns that he threw with an offense that's absolutely loaded out there for the Chargers. So I can't wait to see what Phillip Rivers is going to look like. I'm not ready to hand him a bounce-back season just yet. He may be done. I don't know if all these guys can play into their late or early 40s, late 30s at a high level. So that's question number one for me is what Phillip Rivers are we going to get? And who takes over? Which running back is going to be the guy when we get past the halfway point of the season? Because Jonathan Taylor, mm-hmm. we know in Big Ten country, that dude can roll. And you pair that with the offensive line that we've been talking about. I like Marlon Mack, but they did trade up to get Jonathan Taylor back into the second round. They traded yeah. with CB's Brownie. So that tells you a little bit of how they feel about their running back situation. This offense, I think it has a chance to be special, but there are question marks here with the running backs. Is T.Y. Hilton still at number one? But who's going to take over as a number two receiver? Our guy Paris Campbell? Or Michael Pittman, the guy they drafted this year, the Colts' offense to me is a big time question mark. Ar right now, yeah, I think I think Taylor's the one known. All right, number two for me, and I'll run through this fast. Uh, stay with quarterbacks. Big Ben, the Big Ben bounce back from the elbow. Is he lighter? Does he look better? Apparently, he's been throwing the ball really well since spring. Is he a four K guy again? Can he toss twenty five TDs? He's basically guaranteeing he will play well. Almost made the playoffs without him, which is amazing to say. They'll still have a very good defense. They forced 38 turnovers last year. Will they throw it 600 times now? And, you know, it's a... I I think you're going to have a ton more plays for that offense with him in there. That goes without saying that they're going to be able to throw the ball better and more. Contract year, I think, for James Conner. But to me, the second biggest storyline in the league how threatening are the Pittsburgh Steelers with a healthy Big Ben? I would say they're big-time threat. They got one of a very strong half to the formula of winning, AR, and that's a great defense. So, yeah, that offense is going to ha- you know, uh, have a lot of weight on how far they succeed this season. Third one for me. All right, Buffalo, you ready to take over the AFC East or not? Are you ready? You mentioned Cam Newton. There's also been a lot of dropouts on the defensive side of the ball. I believe in the Patriots' offense, but defensively, I don't know what that looks like. I know Stephon Gilmore's coming back. I know this Buffalo Bills defense is going to be lights out with one of the best corners in the game, Intradavious White. But we don't have to talk about defense. That's not as sexy as talking about this offense. They got your guy, AR, Stephon Diggs. He is now there. Josh Allen, we saw him in that playoff game down there against Houston. Didn't love how that ended, but at least he got his team to the playoff. I know he gets killed a lot. Now he doesn't have any more excuses. He's got one of the best wide receivers on his squad. So this Buffalo Bills team, my question is, the, what this intriguing storyline is, is it their time? Are they ready to put on the big boy pants and kick Bill Belichick and the Patriots out of the club? It's a great storyline. It is great, and it was almost my third one, but I want to be consistent here, and I'm going to stay with quarterbacks. And to me, it's Ryan Tannehill. $118 million? My goodness, did he cash in on one amazing year. I think he had the fourth best all-time passer rating ever. In 2019, (laughs) and they're going to be still run heavy. We know that. But 22 TDs and six picks, Mm. like the regression's going to be there. How much? I don't know. But he led the league in passer rating. He kicked out Mariota. The number three storyline, Tennessee was knocking on the door with Ryan Tannehill and his 118 mil. Can they do it again? It's a big storyline if he can... Prove the doubters wrong that he is not a one-hit wonder. I it, That whole situation 
was so fun to kind of talk about with what do they do with Henry? Do they tag one? Who do they give the big contract to? They worked it out. They got both of their guys back. You're right. Look, my team knows better than any team what you got to deal with when you play You know the Tennessee Titans. Your defense better strap it up because if not, Raves and company are going to see that and they're going to say, okay, big boy, you go. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Can handle this. We'll take it off. Uh, take it out of Tanner Hill's hands. They have no problem with doing that. They're a physical squad, and they got a young receiver in AJ Brown that I think is going to emerge on the scene this year, or more so than he did last year. So, yeah, at the end of the day, it comes back to Tannehill. I'm still kind of eh, on that contract. I, I think it could have been more of a flash in the pan, but they could take it out of his hands when they need to. All right, well done. Good storylines for the AFC for this season. Want to know anything about the fans' contest? How to win? What's up for grabs? Check out 971thefan.com. The Fan, Ohio's sports destination. Broadcasting from the Lindsay Honda Studios. Honda makes the cars. Lindsay makes the difference. Visit lindsayhonda.com. WBNSFM HD. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.